You are now listening to the Q&E Podcast. Is this what you want? Huh? Is this what you want? I'm trying to get it, goddammit! What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Q&E Podcast, and you're here with your boy Q Hicks right now. And I got Eggert on the other line. Eggert, tell the people what's good. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Q&E Podcast. We got a big weekend for y'all coming up, man. This is championship weekend for the NFL. We got two more games. You got the Bengals and the Chiefs for the AFC, 49ers and Eagles. So we're going to give y'all our recap from this past divisional weekend and what we expect for the Super Bowl to look like with this um, upcoming weekend. Yes, sir. If this is your first time listening to the Q&E podcast, we do have five segments. We have our sports segment, Two Wild Wednesday, Social Media Wants to Know, Entertainment, Current Events, and Pass the Ox. So definitely stick with us throughout this whole entire episode. And like Egret said, we will be starting off with a divisional round recap. But before we dive into that, for all of your sports betting needs, definitely go to BovadaSportsBook.com. And diving into the first matchup with the, the divisional round, we had the Jags versus the Chiefs. Most people had the Chiefs winning this game in an overwhelming fashion, but the game was pretty close throughout. The Jaguars had their chances, uh, had their chances, but at the end of the, the day, the, the, the Chiefs ended up getting the job done. But one key thing coming out of this game was the Patrick Mahomes injury. He had to end up leaving in the second quarter because he had a high ankle sprain, and that's a huge question going into this championship weekend. So, Egan, I want to know how you're really feeling about the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes at this moment with this type of injury, and how does it affect their Super Bowl run? Uh, I think it will affect their Super Bowl run if Patrick Mahomes cannot play effectively. We've seen, although he did get hurt in that game against the Jaguars and he had to go to the locker room, he did come back out and make some heroic efforts limping on the field you know throwing off of his other foot you know whenever he had rollout passes like you could see he was hopping a little bit differently but he was still able to get passes off and he still had enough time but this Bengals defense I believe is a notch higher than the Jaguars defense as of late you know in totality the Jaguars we can have a talent comparison all day and say well the Jags have just as much talent as the Cincinnati defense, but as of late, I trust Cincinnati's defense to be a lot more aggressive on the D-line, and I think Patrick Mahomes, especially with them knowing that he's not 100% at this point, because he's not going to be 100% for this game. Not at all. I think they'll find ways to surround him in the pocket, and Patrick Mahomes could kill you from the pocket or rolling out, but I think they're going to try and find a way to contain him for most of the game. But this was a huge issue, even in this Jaguar game, because he couldn't really throw off that right leg. And you can see he was throwing some, some ducks because he just couldn't put all of his power into throws. And I mean, these are short throws he was trying to get off, and he really couldn't make or put the correct power into his throws. So this is going to be a huge concern and what I think will be a high-scoring uh, Chiefs versus Bengals matchup. If you don't have Mahomes at uh, 100%, or not even at 100%, because he, like you said, he's not going to be at 100 but at least ready to go and ready to elevate his team, this is going to be a long game for uh, the Chiefs, bro. Because I think Burrow and the, the Burrow and the Bengals are going to put up points. So Mahomes has to capitalize. I don't know if they have to change up the game plan, meaning they run the ball more, obviously don't put as much pressure on Patrick Mahomes, obviously keep the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands. Maybe that can be the game plan with this. And we've seen that kind of work with uh, work against the Bengals because you can run the ball on them, but mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Obviously, they relied so heavily on Mahomes for the past three years. Will they change this game plan in such a pivotal game? You know what I'm saying? You know, because even last week, Pacheco had a hell of a game. I think he had like 80, 90 yards on the ground, but they yes. st it still came down on, to Patrick Mahomes making the big throws down the stretch to seal the W. So once again, will they put the entire game plan on Pacheco and McKinnon and all that type of stuff? It's going to be something to see, but I think it definitely will affect him going into this game. And And it'll be hard even with Pacheco being the leader offensively, if they choose to lean into the run game for this game, just because if you do try to have Mahomes pass, that's a lot of footwork to ask of him to do play action with turning around, running backwards, you know, to hand the fake hand the football, then trying to switch and adjust his body, you know, to take two more steps back on top of that, plus rolling out. Like, I feel a lot of play action passes that we've seen this past weekend I don't think will happen this weekend. I think he'll be in a lot more shotgun. If they do play action, it'll be from the shotgun position to where he already has a full view of the field. I don't expect us to see Patrick Mahomes under center for at least half of the game. Man, this is going to be something to see, though, bro. This is going to be something to see. We'll dive a little bit more into that preview, but just going back to this divisional round game, I think the key from this matchup was uh, Pacheco, and I think that's going to be the key going forward with this uh, Chiefs and Bengals game. That impressed me. And also how the Chiefs all, the Chiefs defense always elevates come playoff time, bro. It don't matter what ups and downs they're going through throughout the season. They always step up to the plate, and especially Chris Jones, bro. He steps up. He had a lot of pressure on Trevor Lawrence throughout this game. Trevor Lawrence could never really get comfortable in the pocket with the pressure that was on him. I mean, the quarterbacks mm. was shutting down the Jags wide receivers. We said that was a big question marks with the Jazz the whole season, and obviously it just came to a head in this divisional round matchup. But the Chiefs' defense always elevates, so that's going to be something to see if they can do it on an even higher level going against one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and Joe Burrow, who's playing better than anybody in the league right now. Can you elevate to stop him? Because we've seen for the past couple of years, Joe Burrow has your number at this point. So can anything change? And that's and that goes back to my Mahomes point of like, you're you're gonna have to change your game plan because of this injury, and you haven't beaten Burrow up to this point. So it's like, damn, this is the wrong time to have an injury and wanting to change your game plan over an injury, bro. This is a tough time to have that uh along the way. So it's gonna be interesting. But moving on to the next matchup we had in the AFC was the Bengals versus the Bills matchup. Obviously, this was the highly anticipated matchup. We didn't get to see it throughout the regular season. We expected a way more high scoring and way more close battle throughout this game. But the Bengals just thoroughly dominated from the jump, offensively and defensively. Burrow was on point. That defense was playing at a high level. And my one true question going away from this game was, do we have to start reevaluating Josh Allen's place in the quarterback ranking? Because coming into this season, it was felt like it was a clear, yeah, Patrick Mahomes is 1A, but Josh Allen is clearly 1B in this conversation. But I think he's starting to drop a couple notches when you're talking about the Burroughs coming up, and especially when you talk about future down the line. When you have people like Lawrence, you got people like Herbert, you're going to have some other. Lamar is going to be back next year. Do we have to start reevaluating where Josh Allen's place is in the quarterback hierarchy? Uh, yes, I think he has to be knocked down to tier two at this point. And I was one of the people at the beginning of the season, like Quincy said, I wasn't on the 
I wasn't going to put him on the cusp of saying, like, you know, he is on the level of Patrick Mahomes. I just felt like he's right under with that 1A, 1B comparison that you were talking about. But it's not even that anymore, bro. Like, he's literally tier two at this point. Still a great quarterback. I'm sure you can win a Super Bowl with him eventually. But as of right now, Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, to me, are the two best quarterbacks in the league at this moment. And if Joe Burrow beats Patrick Mahomes for a fourth time, we gotta have that conversation of who's oh, really number one. Oh, for real? Because so, I, I tweeted that this week for sure. I believe you. Yeah. But, but Josh Allen, um, the the Bills as a whole disappointed me this past weekend. I told y'all at the beginning of the season I wasn't gonna ride the bandwagon because I didn't care what happened during the regular season. My real um questions needed to be answered in the playoffs, and they were answered this past weekend with how the Bengals literally ran through. The Bills. And I tweeted this during the game. I said, the, the Bills, they're not playing enthusiastic. They're playing like they didn't even know they had a game today. And you just didn't see any fire in the team at all. The most fire we saw on that sideline was Stephon Diggs. And he was damn near cussing Josh Allen out for not getting him the ball. So the Bengals came prepared. They knew they wanted to punch the Bills in the mouth. Bills, you were at home. You had DeMar Hamlin up in the um, booth. So you you got the emotional side on you. You know, you got the snow. It's literally your element. Everybody was healthy. So so what's the excuse, Bills? Like, I, I don't know what the excuse is. Josh Allen, who played terrible, who couldn't get passes off, who didn't even use his legs that much. I get it. That also goes into the offensive scheme with the assistant coach and whatnot. But damn, Josh Allen, like like we say with other top-tier quarterbacks, you gotta I don't elevate. care what the play calling exactly. is half the time. You got to be able to say, man, bump that. I'm mm-hmm. going to do what I want to do on this drive. We see Mahomes do it with Andy Reid. They may cuss each other out, but, hey, they get the job done. Brady did it with Bruce Arians um, the last couple years before this year. And, you know, we see it with other top-tier quarterbacks. Even Aaron Rodgers with a less talented squad. You know, he has moments where he's like, hey, this is my drive. I don't care what we've been calling the whole game. So the fact that Josh Allen refuses to rise to the occasion, this is the fifth year that the Bills have either been knocked out of the playoffs in the divisional round or just didn't make the playoffs, period. I'm done with the Bills at this point. They're going to have to show me to believe it. I believe it when I see it, and I will be a Josh Allen stand again when he proves me wrong. And look at what a year, what difference a year makes, bro. Last year after they lost, it felt like a a moral victory when they lost to the Chiefs last year because it felt like because damn. It came down to the last. Because it came second. down to the wire. It was a. It was obviously they lost in overtime, but it felt like this. The Bills and the Chiefs is going to be the rivalry down the line. But now a year later, it's like oh, that's not going to be the rivalry. It's going to be the Bengals versus the Chiefs. That's going to be the rivalry moving forward because the Bills just can't get right. This game showed me two things, bro. It showed me how much they miss Von Miller and why they paid Von Miller all that money to come because he was supposed to be the closer for this team. They created no pressure on Burrow. Burrow was comfy in the pocket the mm-hmm. whole game. No pressure was created. And two, it showed me how impactful and how important Brian Dayball was for the Bills last year as the offensive coordinator and how impactful he was for the Giants this year on their run to get to the divisional round this year. Because it felt like Josh Allen significantly regressed from the quarterback we seen last year in terms of the decision-making, him just forcing things where he just didn't have to. And this didn't even look like the same quarterback. We've seen so many strides and growth toward the end of last year. And after the first four games of this season, 
It looked like 2018 Josh Allen with the type of plays he was just trying to make that were so unnecessary, whether it caused a, a pick or whether it caused a, a fumble. He was just trying to do too much. And in a situation where his team was down and needed him to do too much and needed him to pull out all the stops, he gave us nothing. He didn't even show us that gunslinger mentality that you should be showing when you're down 10 to 17, where you have to pull out all the stops. Like, he didn't even give us that. It felt like the team was lifeless on Sunday, bro. That's how the team really felt. And that was embarrassing. At home, you do that? Like, the Bengals stole their hearts, bro. Like you said, they had the emotional aspect on their side. DeMar Hamlin's in the stands. Everybody cool. The only player you're missing was Vaughn, even though that's an important player. You should have been more prepared for this matchup. Why were you not? Y'all should have been ready to bounce back. We see how the Bengals came into the game. They didn't have that, their best game against the Ravens, but they came ready to, ready to play. I thought we were going to see a different Bills team coming off a struggle against the Dolphins. I thought they were going to be ready to play this weekend. And that was embarrassing, bro. I thought this was going to, I picked the I picked the Bengals, but I expected a way better game, way more fight, and the Bengals took Definitely. their heart from the jump, bro. I mean, they couldn't stop them with the pass. I mean, Burrow was getting loose, and Mixon was getting loose. So it's like, right. damn, the Bengals had a, not the Bengals, but the Bills had a top five defense this year, and they couldn't stop shit. <laughs> like, that shit is crazy, and I don't want to hear that excuse about the snow, because that's supposed to be y'all advantage. I'm about to say, that's their environment. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's supposed to be y'all advantage. So I don't want to hear their excuse, oh, it was snowing, ain't no footing, because the Bengals could have had that same excuse, and they dominated throughout the whole game. So that's not an excuse, bro. That was embarrassing, bro. And okay. even prior to the even prior to the DeMar Hamlin injury, if we go back to January 2nd when they were – when they had their original regular season game on Monday night, I want to say the Bengals were up in that game. Yeah, it was 7-3. to three. The Bengals scored the first touchdown. It was 7-3, yeah. to three, mm -hmm. and they had the ball during that drive because mm -hmm. it was T. Higgins. T. Higgins had mm -hmm. the ball when DeMar Hamlin made the tackle and so on and so forth. And is this just what we would have gotten anyway? Exactly. Like earlier so. this month? Is, mm -hmm. is that really what the Bills are showing us? Like, damn, yeah. if that never happened during that game, but we have seen this twice at this point. Like, I, I don't know, bro. Like, the Bills, I would say over the last three to four years, if I had to give a full synopsis of all the teams, the Bills are the most disappointing. Like, yeah, my Bucks had a very disappointing season this year. But, damn, at least they in the Brady era, yeah. we got a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So, it's like, damn. It, shit, even if we didn't win, we got there. Mm -hmm. Like, the Bills have not even gotten there. 2017, divisional round exit. I want to say 2018 divisional round exit 2019 don't know if they made it or not i don't think so 2020 knocked out 2021 knocked out and then you get blew out this year for the 2022 season and they were the like, favorites this, coming this into the season bro they, they a lot of people the had them over the chiefs to win exactly. the super bowl and the tour at least get there and y'all do is this inexcusable this is inexcusable bro inexcusable and all of this blame i don't care who else has to be on Josh Allen, bro. Because if any other quarterback falter like we've seen them in a game of this magnitude, the whole blame would have been on the quarterback. We see how the Cowboys lost. That entire loss is on Dak. Everybody's blaming Dak. This entire loss has to be on Josh Allen. You have to play better, bro. You're supposed to be a top two, top three quarterback in the league, and you pull this start in the second round of the playoffs? Oh, my. That's unacceptable, bro. That's unacceptable. So, yeah, bro. I can't believe in the Bills either. He's still physically gifted as a quarterback. I won't take that away from him. <clears throat> still top five QB in the league. You can even make the argument top but three. But at this if you point, bro, 
But at this but we point, we have higher expectations. Exactly, because it's starting to become an Aaron Rodgers type thing, bro, where you have all the talent in the world, but you can't get it done when it matters. Even though A-Rod has a championship, I'm just talking about the last 10 years of his career is when he just can't get it done. That's what it feels mm-hmm. like with Allen, bro. You have the talent on your team. You have no excuses. So why are you not getting it done? Because and, and that's really what it was with Aaron yeah. Rodgers, bro. He yeah. had a stacked defense for a good number of years over this mm-hmm. past decade, bro. Like, literally the last five years, I'll say the last, yeah, I'll say like the last five years of Clay Matthews' career, bro, there was no way y'all shouldn't have got at least one more Super Bowl appearance. They let you so down. I, I just have a problem with it, bro. Yeah. I, I have a problem with the Bills all around. It was a problem. But we're going to talk more about the Bengals when we talk about the uh, AFC Championship preview. Moving forward, we got the Niners versus the Cowboys. Another supposed to be highly anticipated matchup. And this game did come down to the wire. It was a a close game throughout. But obviously, the Niners ended up pulling it out. Dak did not have his best game. I think he had one touchdown, two interceptions. And he just did not look good all around because he should have honestly had way more picks than just two. He just didn't Mm -hmm. see the field well on Sunday. Obviously, credit to the Niners defense, but a lot of that blame has to go back to Dak. And I want to say this before you dive into your point about the Cowboys in this matchup, because I was somebody who said Dak deserved his credit for having the best game he had last week. And he deserved credit for that because so much was put on his shoulders in terms of pressure to get that W. But to come out and just lay an egg like he did in this game, bro, this is where the inconsistency always comes in with the Cowboys, how you guys can just look so good one week and look so terrible the next. It just doesn't make sense in terms of the pendulum swing that we see every year. This isn't just this year. I mean, for the past three years, bro, we have been going through the same bullshit with Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, and I don't know what to say, bro. And we literally seen in the back-to-back weeks how they can look great and look ass from week to week. Because this is the thing with the Cowboys. And before I even dive into the Cowboys, let me congratulate the Niners, specifically Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy did not play amazing this past weekend, but he made the right decisions on several plays. And it didn't look flashy. It didn't look like, woo, we see something here, we see something here. But he made the right passes. He he didn't do anything stupid for at least a good 95% of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, he took some sacks, you know, because Dallas on D-line got through there the way we expected both D-lines to mess with both quarterbacks. But for the most part, Brock Purdy damn near played flawless in that game. The stats don't look crazy, but if you watch that game, he literally just outplayed Dak. So I got to give Brock Purdy and the 49ers credit. And also, before you move on, I have to give credit to his his supporting cast of George Kittle, McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell. That's yeah. what it looks like when you have a rookie quarterback. That's how the veterans and the, the weapons are supposed to step up to the plate. George Kittle was a huge reason on why they won that game, made some huge catches. I mean, Christian McCaffrey stepped up to the plate, made some huge catches down the stretch. Debo Samuel had a couple of runs. That's how you got to step up for your rookie in that type of position, in that type of environment where he doesn't have the experience. You have to help him out. Like you said, he didn't have the best game. Nobody was expecting him to have a great game, but we expected the weapons to at least help him out and get him through it. And that's what we've seen on uh, on Sunday. And with the Cowboys, it's, it's just what we expect at this point, bro. Because you and I both said, even if they didn't lose against Tampa, we knew they were going to lose to the 49ers. They were just going to lose eventually. The Cowboys were not making it to the Super Bowl, bro. And at this point, do we even have to have fact or reason? The, does this franchise just have straight? It's too much track record. It's too much of a track record. Yeah, it's too much of a track record mm-hmm. to where 
they're literally just going to have to prove the world wrong one year and just do it. Until then, y'all are going to be the joke of the league. Y'all are going to be the, you know, the butt of everyone's joke. You know, y'all can't keep calling yourselves America's team and y'all haven't won anything in, what, 28 years at this point? Like, come on, bro. Like, a lot of Cowboys fans weren't even old enough to drink back then or weren't even alive back then. So the whole thing of Cowboys fans saying, hey, well, you know, we still got chips and blah, blah, blah. Cleveland Cavaliers didn't win shit in 52 years, and you don't see them walk around before Braun got that title. You ain't see nobody walk around and say, hey, well, we got one, so we good. <laughs> like, no, bro, like, that. sooner or later, we have to talk about the drought. And there's been nearly a 30-year drought with, quote-unquote, America's team. That is an issue. That Prescott played terrible. It just was not good. He played lights out against us, but like I said, before they played us, they're the better team. Like, they should play well. Even if there was an expectation for us to rise in our play, Dallas was still going to play better. Now, did I expect all them damn touchdown passes and whatnot? (laughs) No. I ain't expect us to fold like that. But Mm -hmm. I I knew the Cowboys had the better chance to win, whether they did or not. But that was not the Dak we've seen all season, bro. Like, that one game can't outweigh what we saw during the last half of the regular season where you've thrown 13 picks in your last nine games. Well, really, like, before the 49. Yeah, about that's about it. That's, yeah, picks. that's about right. Yep. So it's just the fact that you have not been consistent other than with throwing interceptions, and you have Tony Pollard go down. So it's like, damn, the run game is hit at this point. And Michael Parsons got shut down. Granted, 49ers O-line, Pro Bowl O-line. Will not take nothing from that. But Michael Parsons, bro, you we we expect better from somebody like you. I know it's your second year in the league and whatnot, but if you're going to be up there with Nick Bosa and defensive player of the year talk, you can't go ghost the entire divisional playoff game. So my, my whole thing is the Cowboys just as a whole folded. Dak needs 75%. I wouldn't say the, the whole team folded. I, hold on now. Hold on now. I, I think that's wrong saying the whole team folded now. Cause I, well, I, I, the offense. I think I'll say the offense. The, the offense defense held the 49 The defense held it down, and that's why I, I don't. I don't. I don't think anything was wrong. I think Parsons had a lot of pressure on Purdy. He just didn't have anything statistically that shows up in the box score, like a sack or attack or anything like that. But he was pressuring Purdy consistently and was in the backfield. And I think the defense was holding them down the whole night. No breakout plays, no big players from Debo, no big plays from McCaffrey. The San Francisco had to work for everything that they did, and honestly. That's the true. reason why San Francisco scored as many points as they did was because of Dak. All of them goddamn picks that you're putting the San Francisco in prime scoring position where they, even then San Francisco wasn't scoring touchdowns. They were just kicking field goals. So that's still credit to the defense. But a lot of that still goes back to Dak putting his whole team at risk. And he honestly lost this game on both sides because I, you didn't do anything on offense. And then you put your team, your defense in terrible positions leading to points. I think he had two picks that led to six points. And you lost by what? You lost by seven. So if you didn't throw those two picks, what? This is a whole different game, whole different outcome. And Brett Maher was going to miss that kick, whether it got blocked or not. So y'all wasn't getting them three points. I just want people mm-hmm. to know that. That kick was going to miss. The when, when they showed that replay, and you see how that ball twisting sideways to the left, I was like, yeah, that shit wasn't going in. He better be glad that kick got blocked because he was not <laughs> making it. So yeah. that's already three points you weren't getting. You turned over six points, so that's a terrible difference. Now, that was an extra point that he got that. blocked. That was the extra point he got blocked. 
Well, one one point. Either way, yeah. shit, it came down. But that to just came a back. It came back to one point exactly. But I, all of that made a, a made a difference in the ball game, bro. And, but yes. I, it all goes back to why Dak was the problem, and that's why my key question to coming away from this game was, what's next for Dak? Because at this point, I told you the other day, he's the Black Kirk Cousins, bro. Where you don't know what you're gonna get from him, but you know you're going to be disappointed with the results. In the end, and in the end, you're going to be disappointed. I think the Cowboys for the next three, four years are going to be 11 and six, 12 and five. They're going to be a good team in the regular season. They're going to get W's, but when it really matters, we know what's going to happen. Same thing like the Vikings. If you keep Kirk Cousins at quarterback, we know what the end result is going to be. I don't care what you do in the regular season. So, do they trade that? Do they? Can stick it out with that because this is tough. This is why I told you earlier, I think I told you last week of it's tough where it's a tough way to go with that because Dak is a fringe top 12 quarterback in the NFL. So is it really realistic for you to get better than Dak in free agency through the draft or anything like that? Can you really get better than Dak if you get rid of him, if you trade him or something like that? Because everybody's saying, yeah, trade Dak and draft a quarterback. There's no promises that that quarterback is going to be better yeah. than that. You know what I'm saying? Right. Especially when a, a draft is so hit and miss. So where do they really go? Do they stick it out with them? Do they just ride it out when we know what Dak is going to do come playoff time? I, I really don't know. Um, because I think Dallas, they're going to be one of the most um, salary cap in-depth teams next season because Dak's contract is going to you know, put them uh, real high in the salary cap. Uh, I think I think Zeke is the only person that should be worried about if he's going to be a Cowboy next season or not. I think Dak will still be there just because he's going to be making too much money for the Cowboys to just let him walk out the door. Now, after his contract is mostly up and it won't be too much um, dead cap for him to go, then we could have that discussion. But as of right now, the Cowboys, they got to keep him just because they're paying him so much. Too much, if I might add, from what I said a couple years ago. I know that's what the market was, but just because that's what the market is does not mean that's what you should pay. And Jerry Jones took a chance overpaying for what he thought would make his money worthwhile, and we see that, no, that, that's not what it is at this point. But I think Dak will stay, don't know about Zeke, and there's some other names on there you're probably going to have to pay, but I don't know how if you got majority of your money put in Dak. Is there a way you're going to be able to build through the draft? That's that's probably what you're going to have to lean on because even mm-hmm. getting a free agent, you're not going to get that big of big of a name. Yeah, you're a not free agent if you got all this money poured in that. And so think about it, bro. It has to be straight supporting cast at this point. And think about it. You got to pay Diggs. Diggs gonna have to get paid this offseason. Exactly. The next off. you got to pay exactly. Parsons. That shit is coming up pretty quickly on Parsons' contract as well. So you got two prime times, probably the two best at their positions right now, or. Two of the, of the best about, positions. What about CD Lamb? I don't even know what CD Lamb. CD isn't getting like the contract. That. He's I think he's in his third year and he doesn't he hasn't gotten paid yet. So that's three primetime players that you have to pay. Obviously, you can get off Dak in a couple of years or after this season, but bro, it's tough. You're gonna have to pay some primetime players, so you're gonna be cap strapped moving forward if you're the Dallas Cowboys. So the only way is through the draft, bro. That is the yeah, only see, way. CD Lamb got one more year before um well no he has two because the 2023 season 2024 so he's an unrestricted free agent in 2025 so you're you're getting CD Lamb for a couple more years if they don't trade him that's if he doesn't get traded and I like I said I think they stick with that because that's the only option for them to do you can't get 
anything better than Dak at this point, bro. If you look at the free agency market, what do you what you got? Jimmy Garoppolo, like that's the best free agent quarterback that we're looking at this offseason. Is he really an upgrade over Dak? I mean, he's gotten to a Super Bowl, so it's like, but still, you're going to ride out with Dak. You got all this money invested with Dak. You're going to stick with Dak. Unless you can see some huge trade swinging the Cowboys' way, like a Aaron Rodgers coming or a Lamar Jackson coming magically, I don't see how this team gets any better at the quarterback position. You're just going to have to ride out this contract till it ends. So yeah, you're going to have to stick with him, bro. And I think they're going to be in the same position next year where we're asking the same exact questions. Oh, I ain't asking nothing no more. I know what I'm getting. <laughs> exactly. But you know we're going to have to talk about it because it's the Cowboys. <laughs> but moving forward to the last game of this weekend, it was the Giants versus the Eagles. This was the most lopsided W of the week. Most people thought it was going to be a way closer game. I thought this was going to be way closer. I actually picked the Giants for an upset, and that mm. shit completely went out the window early. I was like, okay, <laughs> I see how this game is going to go. Jalen Hurts shut me up real quick. So shout out to uh, him. He came back. They look magnificent on both sides of the ball. Giants couldn't get anything going. But just sticking out with the Giants, because we'll talk about the Eagles more when we talk about the preview. Uh, Jones had a pretty good year. Daniel Jones had, especially with the weapons that he had this year. And Saquon Barkley had a, a resurgent year after all the injuries. Should the Giants bring back both of them? Or should they be somebody that's looking at the trade, marking that quarterback and looking for a potential upgrade or something through the draft? Uh, I think if you're the Giants, you stick with Daniel Jones. He's proved this year that he can be your franchise quarterback. And this is the comparison that we um that we thought about a couple of weeks ago. You know what? Damn, do they have the next Eli Manning on their hands to where he's not phenomenal? He's not a top five quarterback, but with the right pieces around him, can he be a consistent playoff possible Super Bowl quarterback? And I don't think that's too far-fetched at this point. Yes, this game versus the Eagles, you clearly just see the lopsided talent difference. But I think Daniel Jones proved this season that the Giants um, should offer him a, a decent contract. He doesn't deserve nothing crazy, but he deserves something respectable for the resurgence in his career that Brian Dable brought out of him. So I think they should keep Daniel Jones. And, of course, you keep Saquon Barkley. That's the cornerstone of your franchise at this point. Honestly, because with receivers, I think if you get get Daniel Jones two real solid receivers, they they good, bro. I honestly think they good. Cause look what Daniel Jones did with the receivers. No, that we I, I know, I know. No, I agree. So see, look, you look. have about two more receivers. See now, your Odell point makes sense because they're not in the playoffs and they ain't trying to get to the damn Super Bowl no more. But so look how much Odell of a difference Odell would have made if they would have had Odell though. He would have made a difference. I don't, they're not. They're not. They're not beating the Eagles, but he would have made a difference. But look, to throw him in in the playoffs, I don't know if I would have just threw Odell in in the playoffs. If you give him like spurts through the regular season to get ready for the playoffs, okay. But just to drop Odell oh, in nah, the playoffs, yeah. and say, All right, he would have been like seventy percent. Like, yeah, He's not I need like that. sixty to seventy yards from you. No, I ain't doing that. What yeah, the hell? <laughs> he's still trying to get right. But going back to this point of if they should bring both back, I do think they should bring back Daniel Jones. I'm more so hesitant on the Barkley part because Barkley is one of the best running backs in the NFL, but the amount of money he's looking for is where I start to draw the line, especially for the running back position. We're always going to have this conversation of if you should pay the running back, even though they're as valuable as they are. I think I've seen a prime example when Carolina ended up paying Christian McCaffrey because McCaffrey at that time was the best running back coming off a great season. But especially with Barkley's injury track record, I would be hesitant to put 
$15 million a year in the running back position, even for somebody as dynamic as Saquon Barkley, especially when you know his injury track record, bro. Is he dynamic when he plays? Yes, but I just don't trust it, bro. I think you can get somebody just as dynamic, bro, or can give up, give you similar production in the draft where you can put that money somewhere else, especially where all of these wide receivers that are coming into free agency want big time money. I think you give the wide receivers the money and you can give like a fourth round running back that can give you similar production than what we're seeing uh, Saquon Barkley doing right now. Because look at what Kansas City is doing, bro. Pacheco was a seventh round draft pick and he is the best running back on Kansas City. You can get running backs in this draft, bro, in late round picks that can put up similar production. Are they going to be as dynamic but, as Saquon? No, but they could put up similar production at these uh, as these running backs, bro. I promise they can. But with the Chiefs, with the Chiefs, bro, they were already set at wide receiver. Like you got Kelsey, who is your main target, even though he's your tight end. But you already got Juju Smith Schuster. You got Hartman. You got Valdez Scantlin. Mm -hmm. Like at receiver, you're straight if you Patrick Mahomes. You really don't care who the hell your running back is. Yeah, I think that's why Pacheco fits more seamlessly into the lineup with the Chiefs. But I'm saying, like, go through the track record. Just go through the track record of teams, bro. Just go through the track record of teams. You can go through damn. What's what's another team? Damian Pierce, for example, for the Texans, third round running back. You can get similar. If he was playing for the Giants this year, similar production as Saquon. You can get running backs in the third, fourth, and fifth round that can give you similar production. Are they going to be Saquon? No, but you're getting them at what? Shit, what twenty percent of the cost? Especially when you got to pay Saquon fifteen million dollars, bro. Like even look at Carolina, bro. Look at Carolina, for example. Right. They got rid of they got rid of Christian McCaffrey and their running game got better when they were giving the ball to running backs who were making no money. Third, fourth, fifth round running backs, but they were giving them the ball and putting up similar production, bro. I think you can go better with that and it's a cheaper option for you, bro. So you're not putting all your money in that position that is so flaky when it comes to injuries, bro. You cannot trace, you cannot trust uh, Saquon Barkley's track record with injuries, bro, to pay him 15, 16 million dollars a year. So do you think the Giants are in the, not the same position, but do you think they're in a similar position as the Titans? The Titans are in the same boat right now. When Tannehill comes back healthy, it's just going to be him and Derrick Henry. I know Traylon Burks will have a year under his belt, mm -hmm. and he may be your primary receiver, but we still don't know but yet. This is what you don't I'm, have this... any receivers other than that if you're the Titans. But this is what I'm saying. You go all in with the receivers because I think that's the position that you need the most, where I think running backs that are coming in in these late rounds can forgive you the production that Saquon is giving you or most of the production that he's giving you. I think you the money that you would have paid Saquon, you give to these wide receivers, you put to other positions, you give to Daniel Jones to round out this team so it's just not so heavy on one position where you round out this team and it's a well more balanced offense bro where it doesn't just rely on one person the thing about the thing about Derrick Henry and why I would pair running back uh, like him because the injury track record isn't the same and he's such a fucking animal that he's so so different from anybody else because he's 6'4 260, nigga, run a full foe. Like, that's some shit you're not going to draft. You're not going to get anything close to. Saquon is a beast for sure, but you can get a running back similar to him in the third, fourth, and fifth round. Example, uh, Kenneth Walker this year, who could have been offensive rookie of the year, and Damian Pierce, both middle of the draft picks, where it's like, damn, we can get that production in the middle of the draft? I'm telling you, bro, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't pay running backs, bro, unless you're a Derrick Henry type of back. I'm not paying you.
Because I think the Giants can use your injury point to their advantage to where they don't feel like they're batting in a corner and they have to place and they have to pay Saquon whatever he wants or whatever the market says he should get. Because the base salary for the top three running backs, Christian McCaffrey at eleven thousand eight hundred this I mean not eleven thousand, eleven point eight million mm-hmm. for this year. Zeke right under at ten point nine, Nick Chubb number three at ten point eight five million. I think if you keep him around that Nick Chubb, Derek, um, Derek this Henry, is the thing. 10.5 to 10.8, I think you're straight. He doesn't deserve He's, any more than that right now. But that's my point. He's going to get more than that because currently what I just seen on the report is that he wants 16 million a year. And that's what Christian McCaffrey signed a contract. He signed a four-year, $64 million deal Christian McCaffrey did when he signed with Carolina. He's currently making 11 million now because the deal was front-loaded. But right, he got sixteen right. million a year if you do the uh, average cost across years. He got sixteen million a year, but I think that's what Saquon wants. Saquon wants a similar contract, four year, sixty four million dollar contract. And it's like I wouldn't pay sixteen million dollars, especially when you just seen what happened with McCaffrey, where Carolina didn't want to pay him sixteen million dollars anymore because of the injury uh, issue. And I'm thinking that's going to be the same way with the uh, the Giants. I, I think that'll be a that'll be a huge statement by the Giants to the fans and just to the NFL world if because basically you would be choosing Daniel Jones over Saquon Barkley that's what it'll look like I know that may not be what it is Mm -hmm. but to everyone else from the outside looking in it'll be like damn they chose they kept Daniel Jones it will be the right Saquon Barkley it will be the right decision though it will be know. niggas. Niggas love Saquon because of the year he just had. The last couple of years, y'all didn't fuck with Saquon like that because the nigga was getting hurt every goddamn well, year. He couldn't make it through seasons. That's why we couldn't. That's what I'm saying though. So, uh, so imagine if imagine if you put in sixteen million dollars a year into this guy and he can't make it through a season. That's what they go. Y'all gonna be asking those same type of questions. Like, damn, why the hell we gave Saquon sixteen a year? The nigga saying. only got healthy. The nigga was only healthy one year, and it was his contract year. That was the same thing with McCaffrey. McCaffrey was only healthy one year, and it was his contract year. Every year after that, he got hurt. And this is a dangerous position, bro. Running backs are going to get beat up every play because you're going to have to get tackled, bro. So the, the, the likelihood of you getting injured is very, very high. And I think the same thing is going to happen with Saquon. Knock on wood. Obviously, you want him to be healthy or whatever, but that's just the likelihood of it is there. So I wouldn't pay a running back, bro. I wouldn't pay Saquon. I wouldn't. I would just round out the team. And moving on to... The NFL Conference Championship previews. Let's start off with the NFC because we're going to go in chronological order. We got the Niners versus the Eagles preview. Edgar, who will be the key to this matchup and who wins? Uh, the key to this matchup. Mm. Uh, do I do one for each team or just the game in total? Yeah, you can do the game in total, yeah. Uh, damn, who will be the key? I'm just going to say the 49ers defense as a whole. I know what we've seen them do to the Cowboys, and I know what we've seen them uh, do in the second half versus the Seahawks, but the Eagles are different, bro. They have two number one receivers in A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and with Jalen Hurts playing healthy now, I feel like the offense is going to have so many plays where they're just pulling stuff out of the hat, you know, with different option plays that um, Jalen Hurts can run for a first down or he could run to the line of scrimmage and get passes off late, you know, to, to late shallow routes or late dig routes to these receivers. The 49ers defensive unit as a whole, specifically the secondary, they're going to have to be on point, bro. Because Devontae, he's coming, bro. We already know what A.J. Brown is. But mm-hmm. Devontae, the last couple seasons, he's showing y'all I'm him. 
So I think the the 49ers secondary specifically, they got to show up. They got to be for real. I know what Fred Warner going to give me. He a linebacker that know how to drop back like a DB. I know what he's doing. I know what the D-line is going to do for the 49ers. They're going to rush and try to make Jalen Hurts scramble like crazy the whole game. But that secondary, are y'all going to be able to, you know, apply pressure and play up close, or are y'all going to play off the whole time? I, I think that's going to be a key factor if Jalen Hurts will manipulate the 49ers secondary or if they're going to be a step ahead and know how to play against that. You know what's funny about this? I think the Eagles dictate who's going to win this game. If the Eagles do not turn the ball over, the Eagles will win. If they turn the ball over more than once or if they lose the turnover battle, they lose this game. I think the Eagles yeah. dictate that, though. And all of the Eagles' losses, they were at a deficit when it came to turnover battle. You remember that game against Washington? It was a terrible game. I mean, Hurts had a pick. It was two fumbles. That was the main loss they had this year. The other two losses were when Hurts wasn't playing, but still it was a turnover thing. And they had two turnovers when Minshew was playing. I mean, the next week against the Saints, it was two interceptions that turned into points. If they do not turn the ball over, they win this game, bro. Because I think they have enough talent to win and maneuver against this defense. They have enough weapons. But if they start to play messy, and San Francisco can really messy uh, and sloppy up a game with the playmakers that they have on defense, Mm. that's why I think it's going to be like the Eagles – the Eagles offense versus the San Francisco defense. That's that's really what I'm looking at the whole time. Like, I think the, the San Francisco offense and the Eagles defense is going to be like a standstill. But whoever wins that battle of the turnover battle between those two, if the, the San Francisco defense wins it or if the Eagles offense wins it, that's who's going to win the game, bro. And I think San Francisco's offense is going to cause a couple of key turnovers that have them win this game and put their offense in position to score. I think this is a very, very low-scoring game like we've seen with the, the Cowboys. It's going to be like field goals are going to win you this type of game. Both of these teams have reliable kickers, so obviously that will come into play. But if Hurt starts to play kind of, ah, that's when we, we can see San Francisco. But they dictate this game, though. If they do not turn the ball over, they win. They really do win this game. So I think that's how close it is, though. McCaffrey obviously has to play big. We can say whatever about the offense and defense, but I think it really comes down to Hurts versus the San Francisco defense, bro. And if them niggas can hold the ball, bro, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And I really don't know what to expect because I can see it going both ways. I can honestly <laughs> I really see can. It, I can see I can it going see it, both ways. I can ways. see it going both ways where, like, San Francisco defense just dominates like we've seen against the Cowboys. We see, we know, and this is the toughest defense that – the, the 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 Eagles have seen this entire season. But it's like yep. the Eagles have enough weapons that they can win, but they just not – they cannot turn the ball over, bro. They cannot turn the ball over. And it was the same thing against the Colts when the Eagles played the Colts too because they almost lost to the Colts. I mean, Jalen Hurts had a couple of fumbles and an interception. Like, it, it, it's a recipe to beating the Eagles. But if they keep – if they play clean, they win. They win. <laughs> so I think that's what it comes down to. I, I'm picking I'm picking the Niners. I think the Niners create a couple of turnovers, but it's going to be tough. It's going yeah, to be I'm, tough. Yeah, I'm picking the Niners. It's going to be tough. It's going to be low scoring like that Dallas game, but I'm, I'm picking the Niners, bro. I think the Niners, I'm going to call it right now, they're getting two picks at least. That's what, And I don't even think they're going to be picks, bro. I think they're going to be fumbles. I think they're going to be mm-hmm. fumbles from the whether it's Miles Sanders because I think they're going to really try to rely on that running game to really pick up some yards because that was something that was kind of working against um, San Francisco until Pollard got hurt. 
because uh, when Pollard got hurt, everything started just going downhill for the Cowboys. But I think right. you can get a couple of good runs on the, the San Francisco 49ers. But I think it's going to be a couple of fumbles that mess them up. But uh, moving forward to the AFC Championship game, we have the Bengals versus the Chiefs preview. Obviously, this is the, the game that everybody's looking forward to, the rematch of last year's AFC Championship game. And a lot of people are not looking at the Bengals and saying the pressure is on them as the lower seed. They're looking at, obviously, the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs because everybody is saying that this is going to be a Mahomes legacy game, bro. You haven't beaten Burrow to this boy. He's knocked you out three times. He knocked you out last year. You're going to let him do it again. You got, you're coming off an injury. Are you going to be able to elevate your team to the, the expectations that you guys have for yourself? Is the defense going to play to the level that they have been playing with consistently throughout this playoff run? So now we have to get our answers questioned in this game against a quarterback who's playing better than anybody right now, a defense that's playing better than anybody right now. Are you ready to do that, Patrick Mahomes? So we haven't really questioned Patrick truly over the past couple of years because he's best been undoubtedly the best. But like you mentioned earlier in this podcast, if he loses this game, that number one quarterback title shifts to Joe Burrow. It, it, it unanimously shifts to Joe Burrow. You got beat twice by him in the AFC Championship game. It goes to him. So what do you foresee happening in this matchup? Uh, he's definitely the X factor. Same way I said the 49ers defense is going to be the difference maker in their game. Patrick Mahomes is going to be the difference maker just because he's not 100%. And we're going to have to see. I know everybody else is going to show up, but will Patrick Mahomes be able to show up and be as effective as we will want him to be? And that's the question that needs to be answered. Joe Burrow, hey, Joe Shiesty ready, bro. That man is ready and cool, calm, and collect. And I said this to one of my coworkers um, the other day when uh, we were talking about, you know, how the Cowboys lost and whatnot. Obviously, there's a talent difference with Joe Burrow and Dak. But the way Joe Burrow hasn't been in the league as long as Dak, but you just see how calm he is, how poised he is in the pocket, how he can just read the field. And in a matter of seconds, he just knows what he's going to do. Like, he never lets getting sacked affect him. He never lets, you know, having to run out the pocket, you know, make him disarray or whatever. Joe Burrow is probably just cere from a cerebral standpoint, he's on that Peyton Manning level, bro. Like, honestly. And I think that's going to be the reason why I'm picking the Bengals to win. Because I think Joe Burrow has shown up Patrick Mahomes mentally as a quarterback to where Bro, he's reading defenses like two, three steps ahead every time. And he's making the right choices every time to where Patrick Mahomes will give you a lot of wild plays, but Joe Burrow is going to give you a lot of right plays, a lot of correct plays, a lot of damn. You know, he ain't play crazy, but he got the dub. He made the throws that mattered. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. Patrick Mahomes, are you going to be able to elevate your game and play through the injury to the high level? And this is the thing about Joe Burrow, bro. He doesn't do anything more spectacular than the next guy in terms of the arm strength, the intangibles, the athleticism. But it honestly reminds you of Tom Brady. And we talked about this last year when they were on their way to the Super Bowl. It reminds you of Tom Brady, the way he processes the game and he never gets rattled in these type of situations. And especially when he goes up against Patrick Mahomes, bro. Like, this shit is just uncanny. I've never seen somebody come into the league this early, be so calm in these high-level matchups, bro. I know we've seen him do it in college and all that shit. After his first year, he's been on the money, bro. 
in terms of the poise and just being ready for moments that you would think would be over his head for this stage of his career. And he had a, he had a, a, a statement, I think it was last week, where somebody had asked him, like, what is you guys' window to win a, a championship? And he ended up saying, like, my entire career. As long as I'm playing, it's always, our championship window is always going to be open. And honestly, it, it is. And with him playing at this level, he does nothing athletically that's off the, the charts. But his game, this game like this, like you see with Brady's, can last 20 years where he's in the running for a championship all of those 20 years, bro. Like, he has that type of game on him, bro. So I have, I, I once again, I got to go with the, the better quarterback, the healthier quarterback in this matchup. I'm going with, I'm going with the Bengals with this game, bro. I think the Bengals get back to the Super Bowl. And I honestly, I'll just give you an early Super Bowl pick. I got the Bengals winning this time when they get there. Oh, think, yeah. I've been saying that, bro. Yeah. If the Bengals get there again, bro, I want everybody to know this. Joe ain't going twice and losing. Yeah, yeah. I don't care if they play the 49ers. Yeah. We will see the best of Joe. Bro, I'm telling you right now. If the if the Bengals beat the um the Chiefs, Joe finna play so different against that 49ers yeah. team, bro. I think Joe might pick that 49ers defense apart. If he played the 49ers, bro, who no one else has done. We've seen no other quarterback put the 49ers defense apart, but let Joe Burrow play them in the Super Bowl, bro. I promise to God, we're going to look at that 49ers defense like, damn, was they really like that? Or is Joe just really like that? Yeah. I think that's what we're going to have to ask. And it's crazy because at this point, he is the only quarterback who he doesn't have. Nobody really has his number, bro. Like, he's been in the league two years. Nobody has really like figured out Joe Burrow at this point. Nobody has figured him out. He won against the Bills, top five defense. Nobody's figured him out. He's played the Chiefs twice or three times in the past two years. They can't figure him out. That's another what reason a depleted why O-line. What a depleted. Like, and, this, and this O-line is playing way better now than they did last year. And they're still missing two starters. They're you feel still what I'm saying? And their defense is more experienced. They're more seasoned. They're battle-tested. Same defense as last year, more experienced. You could, everybody's going to say Eli Apple. You got to pick on Eli Apple. We seen them play against Eli Apple last them year. Them boys win it. Eli yeah. Apple can talk shit all he wants exactly. right now. Exactly. They win it. So. Exactly, bro. They won last year with Eli Apple on the team. So you obviously see that didn't play a part last year. I think the end, the Mahomes injury will play a part uh, with the, the Bengals winning this game. But I think even if Mahomes was healthy, bro, I still think the Bengals win this game. They're just playing at a higher level than anybody else. The one way I see this team winning, they have to take Baltimore's formula of just running the ball down Cincinnati's throat. That's they ain't the that, that, they're the not going to happen, they're bro. not going to do that, but that is the one way I think you beat Cincinnati come Sunday. Run the ball down the throat because we see not Cincinnati, but we see Baltimore have tremendous success on the ground, and they should have beat the Bengals in that first game if it wasn't for that Tyler Huntley fumble that ended up uh, being the game-winning touchdown. But I'm telling you, if you run the ball down their throat and just have Patrick Mahomes making the key throws to keep the chains moving, you win. He has to have a Tom Brady mentality this game. I'm speaking of uh, Patrick Mahomes here. He has to have a Tom Brady mentality of I can't do too much. I just have to keep this clock going and keep the ball out of Burrow's hands. Because I think if Burrow gets the ball, he's scoring, bro. It's going to be that type of game. Even though the, the Chiefs defense is playing good, if Burrow gets the ball, he's scoring. So he, they have to have the Patriots mindset of 
when they had one against the Chiefs a couple of years back of let's keep it out of that nigga's hands. I don't want him to touch the ball. Let's keep exactly. the clock going, bro. That is how the Chiefs beat the the Bengals. But like you said earlier, I don't think they do it. I still think they still rely on Patrick Mahomes too much with this injury, bro. They're going to shoot Patrick Mahomes up with everything, all these IVs and all that shit. So he might feel all right, Man. but he's still going to feel it. It, it would just be so uncharacteristic of the Chiefs anyway to just completely shift their whole game plan. Nah, for sure. Like, to, to put the game in Pacheco's hands of, hey, we're going to lean on your run game for at least a good 80% of the game, that's so unlike the Chiefs, bro. It Patrick is. Patrick Mahomes will, it will, he will but not But you have to change happen. You have to change your game plan for certain matchups, you, especially with this you injury. You do. But they're but not. I agree with you. To that extent, to I agree that with extent, you. I don't I know. Agree with you. I don't know if they'll do it to that extent. I agree with you. But I think that's the way they win. If you keep doing that same old bullshit, bro, the, the obviously, if they don't beat y'all ass three times in a row, y'all obviously ain't doing some shit right. <laughs> so some shit need to change. Some shit need to change, bro. So if running the ball at their throat is the solution, y'all need to do that shit. Especially with Pacheco running the ball as well as he has of the past half of the season, I wouldn't mind relying on that guy, bro. I honestly would not. That's your way of winning, bro. If not, the Bengals already got your number, bro. They do. The Bengals go into the Super Bowl, and they're going to win. I don't care who they play coming out of the NFC. If it's the Eagles, it, uh, the Niners, they're winning if they get there, bro. I got the boys winning. Yeah, Joe they're Sykes winning if they get in that there. ring, bro. Yeah. <laughs> For sure, bro. For sure. I feel you. And uh, moving forward to the, uh, the NBA topics, I got, I want to talk about the Kings real quick. I talked about the Kings earlier in the season. This nigga Edgar tried to shoot my shit prediction down. He's talking about the, the Kings. Them niggas ain't going to be shit. They, they start off the season good. But currently, the Kings are third in the Western Conference behind the Nuggets and behind the Grizzlies. And I'm going to let y'all know something because I know y'all don't watch the Kings. I know y'all be capping. Yeah. No, they have the, they <laughs> have the best offense in the NBA. I watched the Kings game last, uh, last night, bro. And I realized why their offense is as good as it is. They basically run Golden State's offense, but at a way, and they run it honestly better than Golden State with how many options and how many shooters they consistently have on the field, or not on the field, but on the court, and with how much of a of a uh, a player and how much of a an all-star, all-NBA player DeMontez Sabonis is, how much of a threat he is from the outside. When you got somebody like Draymond basically being the point guard of your offense, speaking of Golden State, you got Steph, you got Clay, you got Poole, you got Wiggins, excellent. But the fact of Draymond isn't a threat, nobody's really worried about Draymond. He's just worried about the other actions getting everybody else open. But the Kings have that similar type of offense there. They don't have the level of shooting that Golden State has, but their players are as dynamic and they have shooters in Kevin Herter, who's having the best season of his career. Uh, Harrison Barr is having the best season of his career. And Keegan Murray is shooting out the ball out of his world right now. And then you have De'Aaron Fox, a dynamic point guard. And you have Sabonis being the center of your offense, who is always a threat from the mid-range, from the post, and around the basket. They have a consistent threat at all five positions, bro, where it's, kind, it's harder to guard than Golden State's. Like I said, they don't have the shooting like Golden State does, but they're just as much of a threat at every position on the court. So they that's why and, they currently have the best offense in the NBA. And I would say if I had to give a complete comparison with the Golden State point that you're making, I would say maybe 
maybe the 2015 Warriors as far as like how efficient and quick the offense is. If I had to give a specific Warriors team, yeah. I would say the 2015 team. Because the, Mike Brown is currently the coach of, I wanted to say this too, Mike Brown is currently the coach of the uh, Sacramento Kings. He was the assistant for Golden State. So obviously he just took the Golden right. State system. But like I said, he made it better and they have more threats on the court at all times. Because you also have to think who's starting for Golden State. Looney isn't that big of a threat. Like, yeah, they give Looney the ball around the rim, but he's not a threat that you give the ball to. He's going to attack the rim or anything like that. And Draymond, like I said, at this point of his career is not a threat. He's more so looking to pass. Yeah, he'll get you a layup here and there. But all five players on the court in their starting lineup is a threat to score at all times. And they can't shoot like Golden State, but they can shoot up there with Golden State. I think they're like the third or a top five shooting team, three-point shooting team in the NBA. Like I said, Kevin Herter, one of the best shooters in the NBA. Harrison Barnes is having one of the best seasons of his career. And Keegan Murray is stroking the ball right now. You guys have to look out for the Kings. Am I saying they're going to make a huge run? No, but I'm saying. If they was to see somebody like the, the Lakers or like the Mavericks or like one of y'all favorite teams in this first or second round, y'all going to realize come playoff time how serious and how dynamic that offense, and it all revolves around DeMontis Sabonis, bro. That's one of the, the most elite offensive systems I've seen in the NBA in a long time. Bro. But The Kings but have that's, it. That's why I asked you that question. I want to say this was this was the beginning of the month, I want to say. Um... I think it was between the Kings and the Warriors on who you had more faith in getting to the Western Conference Finals. I think that was the question. It was either the Kings and the Warriors or the Kings and somebody. But that was part of the reason why I asked that question because Quincy Wright, I had no faith in the Kings walking <laughs> into this season. But, hey, recency bias and history shows, why well, should have? Yeah. Um, but uh, they've been playing lights out this season, like Quincy said. Offensively, they're literally one of the top two to three most efficient efficient teams in the NBA right now. So I didn't think it was that crazy of a question because we're getting closer to playoff time. It mm-hmm. is um about to be, you know, all-star break in the next couple of weeks. And if no big trades happen to where, you know, you feel like there's a gauntlet in the West anywhere – the Kings have a chance of making the conference finals. I don't think it's crazy at this point, bro. When I asked at the beginning of the month, it was like, oh, okay, they good, but we don't know if they that good yet. But I think now, going into February, if we get the all-star break, bro, and the Kings continue to go on win streaks that they're going on and just continue to look seamless and nobody is injured, Western Conference Finals has to be a conversation. I ain't going to say the finals. I ain't going to go that far. But they can have a th- they could be a threat to get there. That's all I'm saying. This is the thing about the Kings and why I probably picked the Warriors when you asked me that question because well, first of all, Warriors are experienced and right. they probably beat the Kings with just off that aspect alone. But it's the other side of the ball as well that you got to worry about with the Kings of like, yeah, y'all got the best offense in the world, but y'all got the highest pace and y'all defense isn't as great. And Sabonis is basically a turntable on the other end. You can attack him consistently when you talk about uh, defensively. So that's why I question the Kings where you guys are so efficient offensively. That's why you guys are winning games. But defensively come a playoff time when you got to slow the game down. That's why I'm interested to see how the Kings play in a playoff type of, type of matchup or playoff environment where you can't play as fast and uh, you guys have to play defense every possession because all of that shit matters. I think they do get to, like, the second round. I, like, I'm still confident they can get to a second round and beat your, your favorite players like a Luka or like a, a Ja, whoever they those guys end up playing. 
You know what I'm saying? Even like a, a Clippers team, you know what I'm saying? For example, if they run up against one of your dumb teams, the, the Kings will be the favorite to me, bro. I, I'm not even exaggerating. They will be the favorite to me. But it's, it's just, I just have, I'm interested to see how it slows down, how it looks offensively. But Mike Brown, I said this on my tweet, is coach of the year right now, bro. What this turnaround that he's done in a year with the Kings, and they look this good since he's been there. Mike Brown is runaway coach of the year for me. It's not even close, bro. Runaway coach of the year. So shout out to Mike Brown for what he's doing. Moving forward, I have what's right with the Philadelphia 76ers. Currently, they are second in the Eastern Conference. They have been on multiple win streaks throughout this past couple of months. Tyrese Maxey came back uh, a few weeks ago. Everything, it looks like a well-oiled machine for, for the Sixers right now, bro. They have a better bench than last year. Their playmakers are gelling right now. Harden and Embiid look way better together. They know where each other want to be on the court. Like, what's the expectation for the Sixers come playoff time? Is there is there still an expectation that they're going to falter? Or are they a serious contender? Uh, I think both. Um, <laughs> I think they're a serious contender, but people have been calling them, whether they've been the lead contender or not the last couple of years is a different conversation. But we've had, us as the media and, and as fans, there's been an expectation of, hey, y'all got to have that push sooner or later on whether or not y'all going to get there because these other teams are getting better. Boston is getting better. Um, Giannis and the um, Bucks are getting better. You know, you got the Nets who on any given series, they could be the ones that come out the winner. So if you're Philly, you have to you have to be clicking on all cylinders a little bit more consistently than these other teams that could just flick it on and flick it off. So I think there is an expectation for them to get to the finals, but there can also be the expectation of, hey, y'all usually fold. So I think we'll be more surprised if they go all the way, but we, I don't think it would be too big of a surprise because it's like, hey, y'all have Joel Embiid. Y'all got Maxi. Harden is doing well. Like, I, the supporting cast is there. Dot Rivers, you can finally get that monkey off your bag if you can't get there. So, you know, there, there's room for both. There's room for us to sit here and be like, hey, the Sixers finna fold anyway. Or we can sit here and say, hey, they might actually do it this year. So I think both can be true. Um, and, and that's the one thing that continues to hold me back from the Sixers even getting hyped. Because I've seen them at two today, and I was like, they're at two, mm -hmm. but damn, do I truly believe they're they going to... scary two? Exactly. Do I truly believe they're going to beat the Bucks or the Celtics in a series? I, I still have to see more. And, and it really comes down to Doc Rivers more so than the players. I think the players, they have enough talent to beat those teams. Yeah. But it comes down to coaching. Can the adjustments that have to be made during a playoff series be made by Doc Rivers to like overwhelmingly have the Sixers in the position to win? Those that's where I question that. But one huge thing I give to Doc Rivers and why I think the Sixers have been winning consistently since Maxi has been back has been he's put Maxi on the bench, and that was one question when they were grooving without Maxi. I was always like, what the, what are they going to do when Maxi comes back? Because it felt like too many cooks in the kitchen when all three of them being Embiid, Harden, and Maxi were in the starting lineup because it felt like somebody always felt like the odd man out. Either it was Embiid and Harden or it felt like Maxi and uh, Embiid. It never felt like all three could click at the same time. But with mm -hmm. Maxi coming off the bench now, 
you have Harden and Embiid doing the pick and roll game in like the first six, seven minutes. Then you bring in Maxi. You're you're more so staggering their minutes now. So they're not all three playing together. So now Maxi can be on the ball more and can really show off why he's a, a good player in this league. Now he's averaging 20 off the bench. You know what I'm saying? Now he can really elevate his game and elevate that elevate that bench core as well. And they have elevated role players this year. The Sixers have a lot going on. It's just going to come down to coaching, I feel like, coming a playoff series. But I think they have the talent. De'Anthony Melton, P.J. Tucker, players that have been there before yeah, as well. P.J. Tucker, for players sure. Players that have been there before. P.J. Tucker, I can just give you that from a Heat perspective, how he elevated our team last year. They have Tobias Harris is still on this team. Like mm-hmm. They have players that have been there. They have talented players on their team. Can Doc Rivers elevate himself to be up with the upper echelons is my question. And- and with Tyrese Maxey, do you believe? And I, I don't, I don't even know if I want to necessarily say would somebody trade for him or whatever. I think the Sixers would want to hold on to him. But if he were to be in any trade rumors, not even this season, but just moving forward, do you think he could be a number one player on a team that needs one? Do you think Maxey has proven a not only can he be a starter, but he could be a cornerstone player of a franchise? Do you think he is that? To go with your point of why they're not all three clicking at the same time. If he is a number one on your team, your team is terrible. If you get what I'm saying. Like you're you're it's a team like the Thunder. Like he's not a true number one. You have to have somebody next to him. You have to have somebody dynamic Mm -hmm. next to him. But he is a good number two, three player, though. I think he's a high-level player, an all-star type of player. I think he can be that, but he cannot be your number one. I don't think he can be your uh, cornerstone. I think he's somebody like Shea. I would say Shea. And if you mm. think Shea is a cornerstone player, okay. I think Maxi can do the same thing Shea is doing. I think Maxi on a team where you just let him do whatever he wants to do, he can average 30 like Shea. He can put up five and five like Shea. He can give you a steal and a block a game. Like, that's the type of things Maxi can do if you just let him do whatever, like, you're letting Shea do. But where are the Thunder right now? You feel what I'm saying? Like, the Thunder are, like, at the bottom of the Western Conference or in the, like, the Wimby, you know, same sweepstakes. I think currently they're actually 10th, so they're a little higher than I would expect the Thunder would be, but still not that great of a team. You know what I'm saying? They always accumulate talent, but not that great. That's what type of player he is, though. So if you think Shea is a number one on a team, then okay. I, I guess Max can be a number one, but I don't think Yeah, Shea yeah, I, I get what you're saying. The, the team isn't terrible in the sense of the team depreciates because they now have this player, but it's yeah. just like that – John Morant is a different caliber. John Morant, yeah. we see, he's box off the Kyrie. Kyrie's different. Kyrie can be your number one player on the team, honestly. You know, well, damn, is Kyrie in that conversation? That's what of, I'm saying. I was just about to say that. I was like, I don't think damn. Kyrie is a player that I don't think can be a number one. And I think we've seen mm. for multiple stops, he can't be a number one if you want to seriously contend. Damn. So I that, mean, that he had to get he yeah. had to get Braun. Braun had elevated him to that when he was the number two. When it was just him at the beginning of his career, they wasn't winning shit in Cleveland. Even when he went to the Celtics, it was always, they lost in the second round when he was supposed to be the number one. They got better when he left, and then then he went to Brooklyn. So in Brooklyn, he's the number two behind KD. And and even when he's the number one, they're not as good when they don't have somebody beside him. Like, he's a sidekick type of player. There's nothing wrong with that. He's box office. You still want to see Kyrie play basketball games. But if you could say, man, this man is going to be the number one, he's going to carry us to a championship or get us deep to the playoffs, nah. <laughs> like, that shit ain't going to happen. He has to have a, a Batman to his Robin. 
And I think that's True. the type of thing that Maxi has to be in, bro. And there's a couple of players like that that people are, are going to realize. But it's a couple of players that I think are better as number two than number ones. But um, anything else about the Sixers? Or anything else about anything uh, else in the uh, NBA that you've been noticing over these past few weeks? Uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm really just ready for all-star break. And then I'm just ready to get real serious with the NBA after that. Because we're, we're going to get a lot more serious basketball play, you know, because it'll be close to time for uh, what you call it. Uh, playoffs. Yeah. It'll be close mm-hmm. to the playoffs. Plus, March Madness will be coming. Basketball has, like we said it before, it's just been real lackluster this season. And I think mm-hmm. once we get through the midway of February after All-Star break and March Madness approaches and we can really hone in on basketball, I believe it'll be a lot more interesting. But the NFL has been kicking the NBA ass in nah, for when, sure. it comes to, when it comes to viewership, you know, what games have just been more impactful. Like Christmas Day, like NFL took over Christmas Day. That's no, for usually sure. straight NBA. Even even if in the past there have been NFL and NBA games that just merged together on Christmas, NBA usually shines on Christmas Day. And the fact that the NFL just said, nah, this is our time this year. I, I need the NBA to do better as a full season next year. But I, I'm ready for after All-Star break, honestly. And I, I honestly got a topic about ba- uh, college basketball with like a similar topic. But also uh, something else that happened in the NBA circuit was the Rui Hachimura trade. I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's Rui Hachimura. I don't think he's a star in this league or anything like that. But he was traded to the Los Angeles Lakers for a Kendrick Nunn and three second round pricks. I think he was a he was a top 10 pick in the 2019 draft. A good he could be a good wing in this league. He really didn't get the opportunity with the Wizards, especially with all of the big men in front of him with Porzingis. You got Kuzma. They drafted Denny Avdia uh last year or two years ago. So it was just a log jam at the power forward position. But now he finally gets uh, uh to a place where he can honestly flourish. So Edgar, how do you feel like the Rui Hachimura trade will impact the Lakers when uh, AD eventually comes back? Uh, hopefully it'll help them, one, in a sense of they need more youth on the team. So more youth more most of the time means uh, more health. So that's a good sign. Uh, when it comes to offense, like he, I think he's a great offensive player in terms of role playing and just hitting key shots. So I think that's big. And I think he's somebody he can go on stretches to where LeBron can be on the court and not feel like he has to make every bucket. He can have somebody now where it's like, I know for a fact this person can get a shot. Similar to the effect of an Alice Caruso, I would say, of like, hey, he may not be the top three talented players on this team, but he can get buckets and he's clutch and he makes five to six minute stretches a lot easier if some of us are not on the floor. So I think that's the the effect Hachimura will have. I think this was a good pickup for the Lakers. I really do. Especially when you got him for Kendrick Nunn in three seconds. Mm-hmm. Getting this level of talent. Damn near steal. It was a fleece for sure. Like the Lakers won this deal for sure. I wanted the Heat to pick him up because I thought he could have been a good player for the Heat. Like 6'9", can shoot the ball. I think he's been shooting it like 38 to 40% from the three-point yep. line. So he's a good Going shooter crazy. from three. So like this is a good pickup for the Lakers. And he's somebody who can step into that four position where Bron doesn't have mm-hmm. to guard those bigger uh, power forwards in the league. Like, he can guard them. I think he will seamlessly transition into the starting lineup at some point for the Lakers, where it'll probably be uh, Pat Bev, 
I, I want to see Austin Reeves start. I want to see Pat Bev, Austin Reeves, Braun, Hachimura, and AD. That would be my prototypical five for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a good team. I still think moves have to be made if they want to make some noise come playoff time. But that's a, a team that can do something in the, the Western Conference right now. So it was definitely a good pickup, positive pickup for the Lakers. They're like, what, two games out of six? Two games out of fifth. Yeah, two two games out of fifth. Fifth out of fifth. That's why I say it's such a log log jam in the Western Conference. Like 11th through fifth is only like two games separated. So a couple of... wild. Yeah, like a losing streak (laughs) and a winning streak can have you in a totally different position. And uh, moving on to the next topic, this is why I want to talk about college basketball a little bit. And this is something that we talked about with the NBA, with how the NBA feels like everybody, yeah, they're putting up these high numbers yes a lot of excitement nobody really is the favorite you know what i'm saying it's a lot of parody in nba especially in the west western conference specifically and i think we're currently having that same problem in college basketball where these blue bloods are not as dominant as they once were and we're seeing other teams rise to the top like the alabama is currently number two purdue is currently number one like teams that you're not used to being up there tcu is good right now teams that you're not used to Tennessee is number four team that you're not used to being high caliber teams in the college basketball circuit are currently tops in the college basketball circuit, but it's not generating ratings. Nobody gives a fuck. And this goes back to your point of last year, how we need a Goliath in all of these sports. There has to be a Goliath that somebody has to knock off. And I think that brings so much excitement to the sport. So yes, it's, a, it's good for all of these teams that they're getting better, like we talked about a couple of years ago. The talent is spreading out now. Everybody isn't just going to Duke, to Kentucky, and to all these schools. The talent is spreading out, so other teams will obviously get better because of that. But there's no excitement when you see an Alabama at number two. I'm not excited to see an Alabama or anything like that, even though they are the best team I've seen this year. I'm not excited to see a Purdue. I'm not excited to see a Tennessee. I want to see the Blue Bloods get knocked off. That brings excitement to the NCAA tournament and the college basketball as a whole. And I think that's why we haven't been seeing that same attention around college basketball this season because the Blue Bloods are lackluster. Duke isn't in the top 25. UNC isn't in the top 25. Kentucky has been looking like shit into the uh, past couple of months or past couple of games. Like all of these blue bloods that we're used to seeing up there look shitty. And we have like these new people up here that nobody's accustomed to seeing. Nobody's a Goliath. There's no great teams in college basketball right now. So it's like, damn, what, what am I looking forward to? Why am I going to check this game out? If I'm not, if I don't really know what to expect from this team until we get to college or get to the March Madness. So I think the the college basketball is currently going through a a parity problem where we don't have any Goliaths or Blue Bloods that are dominating. So now we just got a whole lot of basketball, but it's like, we don't know. We don't, we're not familiar (laughs) with these teams. Like we don't know what these teams are for real. You know what I'm saying? If you keep up with college basketball, yeah, you're familiar with the teams, but the casual fan, if I say Baylor playing against like Purdue, I'm not going to sit and watch that game because it's Baylor versus yeah, Purdue. It's not, not. It's, not, it's, not a blue, it's not a blue blood team. If I see Duke versus UNC playing, I stop everything because I know that's one of the greatest rivalries. I see Duke Facts. versus Kentucky, I'm stopping everything. Duke versus Kansas, I'm stopping everything because these are the blue blood teams. If I see a damn Alabama versus uh, a Purdue or Alabama versus Tennessee, it's like, damn, what the hell am I watching now? I don't know what to expect. <laughs> so that's the parody problem that we're currently having. No shade to these good teams because obviously do what you do win these games, college basketball. You love to see the talent widespread, but it it affects your viewers when you don't have the Goliath as the blue blood anymore. Who is going to be the Goliath to get knocked off by David? 
that's what makes the NCAA tournament so great because it's like, damn, the Blue Bloods got knocked off. Kansas got knocked off. Kentucky got knocked off. Duke got knocked off. Kentucky or Kansas. That's where the excitement comes in. If I see Purdue get knocked off, I'm like, okay, I expected that shit. Uh, if Tennessee gets knocked off, okay. Yeah, Tennessee gets knocked off, okay. I could have seen that shit. Like, that's what we have with college basketball right now. But but I think I think a big part of this is because of it's just the resume and the name and the legacy of the Blue Bloods is going through a shift right now. Like, we see with North Carolina with Duke, like, Hall of Fame legendary coaches are retiring. You know, they're taking that step back of saying, hey, I've given years and decades to these programs. I'm taking a step back. I'm done. I'm calling it quits. Now, because I, I think it's quite different with college as to the pros. With college, we not only get attached to teams, we get attached to coaches. You know, um, Coach O with LSU, you know, go Tigers. Like, we get stuck with LSU damn near just halfway because of him. Nick Saban in Alabama, you know, um, Lincoln Riley, wherever he goes, he's with USC now, but wherever the hell Lincoln Riley goes, we're glued to that because we know, hey, this coach is going to get the best recruits and we're going to see the best names because of this coach. I think college basketball has a similar formula to where it's like, hey, there ain't no Coach K. So, of course, they're going to plummet right now because players have to get Duke, Duke has to win back the trust of the scouts that they're looking for of saying, hey, I know we don't have this coach anymore, but this is still the program that you should come to. And I think we're just not seeing that as much anymore right now with recruits. Yeah, they're still one of the top recruited schools, but is the development still the same? Is the hunger still the same? Is the objective still the same with these blue bloods to where they can start kicking everybody's ass again and be at the top? I think we're just in a stagnant period, and I think that's part of the reason. The coaches and the legacy is going through a change for some of these teams, so now we're just in the era right now of, of who's going to be next. Who's going to be the next team? Who's going to be the next coach to say, hey, this is our time. This is my time, and I, I think we just don't have that yet with college basketball because, like Quincy said, even Gonzaga, they're top 25, but shit, they're like what? They're not that good 15? this year. They just lost to, like, yeah. Pacific last week. Like, they're losing to the trash-ass teams. They're just barely above the 20th spot exactly. last time I checked. Exactly. So Gonzaga isn't even up there right now. Villanova, mm. I don't even know if Villanova ranked right now, if they are. You know, so nope. it, it's just certain teams, and those don't even classify as blue bloods. Those exactly, are, but the high those level are the you tier expect. under. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you, so you got your blue bloods, and then you got the teams right under of like, hey, they're on the fringe of being that blue blood level, but they're just not. Mm. All of those teams right now, we're not looking at. We're looking yeah. at at least four SEC teams of winning the chip this year, which is unheard of right now with college yeah. basketball. And this is the thing with, with, with college basketball, bro. It's like if Purdue was just far and away the best team, it's like, cool. Everybody is not. trying to, they're, they're not, though, but that's the point. It's, there is no great team in college basketball right now, and that's the problem, bro. The best, I feel like the best seasons in college basketball is when we have that great team. For example, 2014 or 2015, when Kentucky had that team, they were undefeated all the way until they lost to Wisconsin. That was one of the best games I've ever seen because you wanted to see Goliath, who had ran through the college basketball circuit, in a game where they lost to Wisconsin. That was one of the best games I've seen because Goliath finally got knocked off. That makes for the best moments. If these teams that are currently in the top five get knocked off, you're not tripping like that because you would cocky expect this shit. You're like, damn, if uh, 
damn, if uh, Kansas State lose in the first round, Kansas State is currently five in the college uh, basketball bracket. If they lose in the first, second round, goddamn, I could have seen that shit coming. Uh, t- uh, Houston, TCU, all of these teams are good, but they're not drawing in the viewers for you to be like, damn, I want to see this team play a game. You're not tripping on these teams, bro. And I think that's the problem. Right? We we always say we want to see more, more widespread talent. We want to see talent everywhere. We want to see everybody have a chance. But I think that affects things when you talk about the viewership of things as well, because ain't nobody checking for college basketball this year for that reason. There's I no great team. I haven't ran to the TV to watch a college hey, basketball game yet. Like, if I've point. watched any, it's because I'm already watching TV and I'm like, damn, I haven't watched college basketball all week. Let me try to catch one or two games as opposed to, hey, I know Thursday night, such and such and such and such are playing. Or this team, they playing a nobody school, but I still want to watch this team. I haven't had a moment like that this season yet. And it is all because of the points that Quincy said of like, we just genuinely don't care about these teams right now. Unless Purdue was on like a three-year run now to where they've been a top three team, that's different. But Purdue, what was the last time Purdue was just ranked number one? Purdue, Purdue just lost to in the Sweet 16 at St. Peter's last year. Like, so if they lose in the first or second round, it's like them niggas just lost last year. And I think they had a better team last year. So this is my point. You're not expecting any greatness out of these teams, bro. And I've just been watching closely over the past couple of weeks with college basketball. And I'm somebody who usually really keeps up with college basketball, but it just hasn't been that crazy where I got to check out. Like, uh, even that year when Baylor was dominant with Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, and all them boys, mm-hmm. I had to see Baylor play. When Gonzaga had all them boys with Suggs, Kispert, uh, Timmy was there. I had to see Gonzaga play. Those teams were Goliaths. We don't have a Goliath right now in college basketball. You can say it's Alabama because I truly believe that Alabama is the best team in college basketball. But I still don't cut them in that Goliath class. I can still see Gonzaga. Gonzaga beat Alabama earlier in the year. And Gonzaga isn't even that good. Once again, yep. goes back to my point of anybody can beat anybody right now. And that takes away from the allure of college basketball where there's no Goliath, bro. And I think that's going to affect the March Madness a little bit. It's, you're still going to watch March Madness because you're still yeah, going to get we, the outside. Yeah, we're still going to watch. You're still going to get the outcomes. For the, for the money and all Exactly. That, so. You're still going to make, the, you're still going to be exciting, but you're not going into it like, damn, I want to see this team lose or I want to see this team go all the way. There's no polarizing team. It's like, damn, I'm just going in this bitch and I don't know who's going to win this bitch. I'm not rooting for anybody. <laughs> I just want whoever I picked on my bracket, I want to win. Like, it's one of those type of seasons. Whoever I picked on my bracket, hey, I want to win. Honestly, this might be a year where there is going to be so there, there's usually always a lot of brackets that are completely cooked after the first round. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to see even more brackets be cooked this year, bro, because mm-hmm. nobody to your point, nobody knows who's going to do it. Nobody knows who's going to be that team that just runs through everybody. I don't care what we've seen this season. It's going to be a lot of cooked brackets this year because we don't have those three to four teams, but we like, okay, I know at least until, the Sweet 16, my bracket going to be straight. It ain't no guarantee with that this year. We don't know. My bracket might be cooked by round 32. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. That's my oh point. Shit. I think it's going to be a lot of like lower seed teams winning this year, bro. I really think it's going to be a lot of upsets. That day. A lot of eight seeds beating one seeds this year. Like yeah, I said, I, I need my... I need Texas to get it done. Texas has been at number 10 for the last three weeks. College basketball, y'all tripping. Put my boys back up in the top five. <laughs> I don't like that. 
Like See, like a, even like a team like Kansas, like I watched Kansas last night play against Baylor. Kansas has a good team, but from night to night, what are you getting with Kansas? They're not a great team. They're good. They have the talent. They just won last year with similar pieces, but am I scared of Kansas? No. So it's like, it's one of those seasons, bro. I just got to see you when I, when I get there. Like, I still don't know what to expect, even in the, the, the weeks leading up to the March Madness. But that's just something I've been seeing. And moving forward to Two Wild Wednesday, man. What you got for Two Wild Wednesday? So my first Two Wild Wednesday poll, which defense would you rather have? The 2000 Ravens, the 2013 Seahawks, or this year 2022 49ers? Which defense would you rather have? Say that one more time. Which the 2000 is- Ravens, yeah. the 2013 Seahawks, or the 2022 49ers? That's kind of tough, bro. We talking about different eras, bro. Damn. Because that Ravens shit, well, they wasn't giving up anything, bro. They was only giving, talk- what, and- 10 points a game? Bro, that's, that was, I mean, they won a championship with Trent Dilfer, and that nigga Dilfer didn't even put up <laughs> any points, my nigga. Like, hey, but if the 49ers win one with Brock Purdy, what are we saying? What are we saying, bro? If they win one with Brock Purdy, I think this is a valid question. 2013 Seahawks, people love to discredit Russ and say Russ got that chip because of that defense, that Legion of Boom. Nah, this the Legion of Boom was crazy. Question. Legion of Boom was crazy. This is a valid question right now. Which defense you picking? Damn, bro. That's kind of tough. Because the, I would go with tough. the Ravens. I would go with the Ravens, but it's tough because it's two different eras, bro. Because if I was to put that 2000s Ravens team against like a, somebody who was playing in 2013. Oh, half them people getting ejected. <laughs> that that <laughs> and it's a different league because it's such a passing it was such it's such a passing league now. So it's yeah. like the Legion of Boom was like their whole secondary. That was really the Legion of Boom, their secondary. Like when really when it was about the 2000s Ravens, it was all the front seven, Ray Lewis. Yeah, you had Ed Reed, but it was more about that front seven, how they were dominating everything and how running game was really like the the, the forefront of everything. So I would say just on how dominant, I'm gonna just rate it by dominance. How dominant, yeah. I was gonna say, you, you ain't gotta worry about crossing the errors, like, yeah. just even if you just look at it each from their own specific because these all were in different eras of yeah. the NFL 2000s. Exactly. You could knock somebody head off and still be in the game. Uh, 2013, you could still hit to a certain degree because Cam Chancellor was taking heads off, but it mm-hmm. was getting more offensive friendly, and then now with the 49ers. Bro, they shutting offenses down in a league that is so catered to offense. So they all have their own unique situations. I would just go with the Ravens, bro. That's more so off revisionist history. And I, I still yeah. have to see the Niners finish it out first because all of those teams won championships. Both of those teams, meaning the Ravens and Seahawks, won championships. So if the Niners end up with a championship, you shut down somebody like a Burrow or a Mahomes in the championship, it's like, okay. Now you're in that conversation because I've seen that happen. Well, damn. 2013, who did the Seahawks play in the Super Bowl? Uh, was that the Patriots? I don't I don't know if that was their Super Bowl winning year. I mean, either way, they still won a Super Bowl with that defense. Um, no, they played the Broncos. Oh, they that was like 50 to shit. Damn. That game was 50 to shit. Wait, no, nah, Super Bowl. 2013 was the Broncos, I think, wasn't it? That was no, nah, that was the, whoa, that was that was the Ravens and the 49ers. That was 2012. 
That was Joe Flacco. Oh, that was yeah, 2012. Yeah. I'm tripping. I'm tripping. So uh, the year after that. So who was the year after that? Who the fuck? Was that? Was that the Patriots? No, that I think that was the Broncos. 2013. The Seahawks defeated the Broncos 43-8. to That defense was crazy. <laughs> and they were the underdog. The That's largest margin of... The largest margin of victory for an underdog and tied for the third largest point differential overall in Super Bowl history. That's crazy. Yeah, bro. That defense was crazy. That defense is OD. Damn, I might have to pick the Seahawks, bro. That defense was OD. Because you remember that Peyton Manning was on a money, was on a, a, a tear that season. Him and Demarius Thomas. I might go with the Seahawks, actually, bro. Because it gives you, honestly, the best of both worlds. It's a It really does. It gives you the best of both worlds because it's like they had, they stopped in the run and they had the. the Bobby Wagner. Exactly. Sherman, Cam Chancellor. Those Irvin. You had, um, oh, who was on the D line? Damn, I forgot who was on the D line. I know they had Bruce Irvin. Bruce Irvin was there. I'm checking who else was on that D line. That team was crazy. Now, that defense was crazy, bro. I, I might go. I actually might go see. Damn, who am I picking? That's tough. Oh my god, who am I picking? Damn, this tough. Cause you gotta think, bro. This year with the 49ers, they have Pro Bowlers all over that defense, bro. They have so many future possible Hall of Famers on that defense, bro. Right now, like this is crazy mm-hmm. what we're seeing with the 40 in a league that is a straight offense right now. That 49ers defense is putting. Fear in a lot of teams' hearts. Damn, that's tough. I might go with the 2000 Ravens just off of nostalgic purposes. That's what I'm saying. Just, that's what I said yeah. too. Like I, hockey off nostalgia. But I, it's hey, you tough got, with the you got Ray Lewis. Though. If yeah. you make it past Ray Lewis, you ain't making it past Ray Reed. Like yeah. that shit was just different, bro. That shit yeah. was different. I gotta no, go with the 2000 Ravens, bro. No I, disrespect to either of them other defenses, though. Yeah, <laughs> I'll stick with the Seahawks, man. That Seahawks was legendary, bro. I'll stick with the Seahawks. That's a lot of Hall of Famers on that Seahawks team. Earl Thomas, I mean, Richard Sherman, Bobby Earl Wagner. Thomas, that's who I forgot. Earl Thomas, Ooh. Bobby Wagner, uh, Richard Sherman, Hall of Fame. That's three Hall of Famers right there. That shit right. crazy. Who else you got? What else you got? Uh, who would be your all-NBA tough guy team? So I got this um, question because I seen Basketball Forever posted their all-NBA um, tough guy team for – the, some of the toughest names in NBA history. Their um, all-NBA tough guy team was Metal World Peace, mm. Steven Jackson, Ben Wallace, Dennis Rodman, and the one that shook a lot of people up, Steven Adams, for their top five all-NBA tough all right, That was the man. one that shook right. the table. I that think that, that nigga Steven Adams has gotten so much credit when he hasn't shown <laughs> that he can do shit tough. He just big and got tattoos, so niggas scared of his ass. Like, come on. That nigga has he's a strong, strong though. He real strong, He's though. strong as hell. Yeah. But nobody messed with that nigga. Like, he ain't even tested yet. All them other niggas that you listed been tested and been certified. But we're in an era where you can't do that now, bro. We're in an era where if you swing a punch, you getting fined like 30 bands and you not playing for two games. Back then, would, they can get in the whole fight and may not only, they will only miss like one, two games and then they back. Like, I would probably put Charles Barkley in that one or... I'll put Tony Allen that way. I think Tony Allen was. I was tough. thinking of Tony Allen. Tony, Ooh, Tony was to tough. Tony, Allen's Tony Allen was bad, a tough bro. ass nigga. I'll take Stephen Adams out Tony and put in Tony bad. Allen. I will put. Oh, I will put. Bro, so I give just, me top five. Top five. I agree with a lot of the names that they ended up saying. Dennis Rodman, I agree with that. The tough guy. Yep. Mm. Uh, 
Like I said, Tony Allen, I'll probably be. Chuck, Chuck was a tough ass nigga, bro. Niggas forget about Charles Barkley. I'll put Chuck at three. Mm. Ben was a tough ass nigga too. You don't understand. You don't understand how <laughs> tough you gotta be to be six eight, guarding seven foot niggas on a daily. And it's not this type of NBA where it's like pick and roll. It's like you truly gotta bang with Shaqs and Yows yeah. and Tim Duncan's. And that nigga Ben Wallace was holding his own, tough as hell in the paint at six eight, guarding those type of niggas. It was four time defensive player of the year. You know how tough you gotta be. That nigga certified in my book. So I'll put that would be my four. Ben Wallace. Damn, bro. Who else did he have? Whoever, whoever else he had. Yeah, uh, Metal World Peace. Damn, Metal World Peace was. A, he was a crazy. That nigga was a nut more so than he was tough. So, <laughs> I, I, I'll ride with that. I'll ride with that. That would be my fault. They was like crazy pills. Or That's something what I'm like saying. That, that nigga was a nut. Yeah, that nigga was off the beam for sure at all times. So I ride with Metal World Peace. I ride with that. My top five. My well, my All NBA Tough Guy team. I should say. Allen Iverson. Because for his size, that I mean, man was a tough, dog. He, he didn't care who he had to guard. Mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant. So RIP being Kobe definitely in the Kobe got Steven slapped Jackson. a couple of times though, man. See the thing about and Kobe, was, I don't know. I don't know. He was willing to get in the paint. His his work, his work <laughs> ethic was crazy, but I don't know if he's as tough as the other five niggas that we named though. He was but, tough. But are we just talking about are we just talking about fighting? If we just talking about fighting, then all no, Kobe ain't in it. That that but definitely bakes into about, it. Rasheed Wallace, ooh, Rasheed. Take World Peace out. Put, put Rasheed Wallace in there. Rasheed Wallace. Yeah, Rasheed crazy. Wallace up there, too. Rasheed but Wallace that boy Kobe, that boy Kobe tore his Achilles, walked up to the free throw line, shot a free throw, and then walked Damn, back Damn, that's home. true. That's different, bro. That's Damn, that's different. True. Damn, Ain't that's too true. too many people that's doing true. that. That nigga Kobe had on ice packs over his whole body. He was like, don't worry. I'll get back in in five minutes. That's nah, different, that nah, he, nah, he, he crazy. He crazy for sure. He crazy. <laughs> I was just thinking about that one time Kobe got his ass slept. But like you said, it's other than fighting, <laughs> No, for he sure, got sure. punched two times. He got punched. Yeah, he got punched. He got punched. And you, those two punches was quick as shit. Everybody would have got punched fighting that series. I don't know. I think it was Greg Charles or some shit. He it got was, the quickest it was hands Chris I've Charles. ever seen. It was Chris yeah, Charles. some of the quickest hands I've ever seen, my nigga. That shit crazy. So I got AI, Kobe, Steven Jackson, Dennis okay. Rodman, and Shaq. Mm-hmm. Shaq was just different, bro. Shaq was so tough. Was he didn't even tough, have to though. be tough. He didn't That's even have to be saying. tough because he, he was, was big. so damn huge. He was big, but was he tough, though? Oh, hell yeah, for sure. Shaq, Shaq has some of the most disrespectful dunks of all time. Shaq up there. I ain't mad at your Rasheed Wallace point, though. Rasheed Wallace got to get... He, I yeah, would put... Damn, sure. I'm going to have to go through mine again. Hold on. Who did I say? I think I said Tony Allen. Because I, I think more of, of just... I think more than just like, hey, this nigga probably... Punch somebody. I think of like, damn, you play crazy injuries. as hell too. Can yeah. you beat somebody ass? Are you crazy? Are you the energizer? I mean, Kevin Garnett is up Dray- there too. You talking about Kevin, Kevin Garnett, Garnett playing- Draymond Green, Draymond Green up there. Draymond Green punches his he own. He a nut. Players. I was about to say he a nut. Yeah, he a nut. <laughs> he another one of them nuts. Gordon, my, Jordan hey, my punches all nut Steve team. <laughs> hey, my all nut team would be Draymond Rodman. Oh, pause, goddamn. Pause. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. <laughs> Off a of bean team. <laughs> Draymond, <laughs> Draymond, Metal World, Peace for show, uh, Rodman, all them three niggas would definitely be on my all off the bean team. Them niggas crazy for as hell. For sure. Yeah. You got some good names. You got some good names in there. For sure, for sure. For sure. All right. And uh, what else? Uh, the Cowboys will not make the playoffs next season. Too wild or not too wild? 
two out. I think they still made the. I said I think they still made the playoffs. But like I said, they're going to be like the the Vikings, where they're a good team throughout the regular season. Niggas, uh, once again, Cowboys fans are going to get their hopes up. Oh my God, we did it again. We're twelve and five. We're going to win it all. And them niggas going to do the same old bullshit. Well, they're going to they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to make the playoffs. Mm. I, I think so. For one, the NFC South is trash as hell. East. Um, what? NFC East. No, no, I, I literally mean the NFC South. So there's oh, okay. one playoff spot that you know you oh, can get. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. There's gotcha. only going to be one team to make it from that division, regardless oh, of I see who what you're saying. I see what you're saying. And then, shit, in your, shit, your division, if you're the Cowboys, might be one of the toughest divisions. Like, is you the Eagles and the Giants now? It ain't just you and the Eagles no more, or just you. It's three teams from your own division, including you, that can make and it. And Washington so, almost made the playoffs, so you better not hope they get a quarterback. Yeah. Made it. So, mm-hmm. outside of the NFC South, I don't think it's just no runaway. It ain't just no runaway, bro. Because you just need two teams in the NFC North, whether that's the Vikings and the Packers or the Lions and the Vikings or the Lions and the Packers. Just two teams from there got to make it. And you you worrying if you Dallas not. You you really there worrying. So I think they man. get in. I think they get in. I, I think it's too wild. I think they'll get yeah. in, but they, they might have some worry if they don't got at least an 11-win season. Because they, they still got so much talent. Like, they still going to have Parsons. I'm pretty sure they're going to resign Pollard. You still got Dak. Like, you're going to have enough to get to the playoffs. And like, it's just mm. a question of what you're going to do when you get there. And we already know what's True. going on. And uh, moving forward to social media wants to know... Uh, I yeah, got so this question I got. Oh, yeah. you got one? Yeah, I got okay, something. Yeah, we got, yeah. Which duo would you get rid of? This is an interesting question mm. to me. This is an interesting question. So the duos are, let me roll it. What is it? The duos are, it says get rid of one duo. You have KD and Kyrie. You have Kawhi and PG. And you have Jimmy and Bam. And you also have and B and Harden. So get rid of one duo. Hmm. Harden and B, Jimmy and Bam, Kyrie and KD, and Paul George and Kawhi. Hmm. I honestly say, well, are we going off of what we've seen from these duos or just off of hey, the strength of just who the duo is? Make, do your own rationale. Make your own rationale. Hmm. Off Whoever of what I've think? seen from all of these duos, That's I got to get rid of PG and Kawhi. I got to get rid of them. I haven't seen enough. I, I haven't. So, <laughs> no, because I, I, I haven't seen them play. I, I don't know. Like, and this is the crazy thing because if we go through these comments, look. It's all of these Bam and Jimmy's. Jimmy and Bam obviously got to go. Jimmy and Bam. Oh, no. Nah, them boys was in the finals together. I ain't, you, uh, I ain't getting This is my point. This is what I so mm-hmm. crazy to me. Everybody keeps saying, yeah, Jimmy and Bam got to be the ones to go because they just look at talent and who's going to be top 10 in the NBA. They're looking at that type of hierarchy. But it's like they're the most productive duo out of all four of these duos. Nice. They're the most productive. They got to a finals. They've been to the Eastern Conference finals like two, three times. So it's like you talk about Kawhi or PG. They're the biggest disappointments, maybe of all time. We've never seen anything <laughs> as disappointing as that duo. They're never healthy either. <laughs> then you got uh, Embiid and Harden, who hasn't done anything together. They look promising now, but they still haven't proven anything. And then you got Kyrie and KD, who just got swept in the first round by the Celtics last year. So how can you say Jimmy and Bam got to be the ones to go 
when the other three have been nothing but disappointments or haven't shown anything to this point. Jimmy and Bam is the best duo out of all of these niggas, to be honest. And that's because even if even if we just going off a of talent, I'm still getting rid of Paul George and Kawhi. I'm sorry, mm. like because if you put Bam and uh, Jimmy against Paul George and Kawhi, Jimmy a way bigger dog than Paul George. I'm picking Jimmy off rip, just off straight hustling. Just the fact that Jimmy's going to get a bucket way more efficiently, I think, than Paul George will. Not taking nothing away from Paul George. He a dog too, but it's just something different with yeah, Jimmy. He ain't bro. Jimmy. He ain't Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> just, just off of that alone, I'm picking Jimmy and Bam over Paul George and Kawhi. So. And honestly, if I had to get rid of one duo, I'm getting rid of I'm getting rid of uh Kawhi and PG. I agree fully with you, bro. Like I said, I haven't seen two bigger disappointments. I'm not saying um Embiid and Harden just yet because I like I said they're still promising. They can still probably make more noise than the Clippers have ever done over this past three years. That's just how disappointing the Clippers have been over the past three years, bro. Never mm-hmm. healthy and haven't done shit. They had that bubble run which was trash. Y'all was supposed to be in the finals at least twice. You came, Kawhi came to LA. Oh, he had all these damn commercials. Ain't do shit. Get their ass waxed by Brian every year. Come <laughs> on, bro. How are you niggas saying Jimmy and Bam got to go when you got disappointments like that in LA, bro? Come on, bro. And we overachieved. The Heat overachieved that year. We overachieved. <laughs> nigga, we Y'all over- haven't even hit the achieve line yet. <laughs> like, and damn. we got to a conference finals after that. Come on, bro. Y'all niggas crazy, bro. That shit was just blowing my mind when I seen everybody picking Jimmy. <laughs> That nigga's disrespectful. But you can go ahead. Uh, what's an actor you don't like because the actor played the role too well? Yeah, so I saw this on Twitter because of um, people were saying, you know, over the past couple of days, who their favorite um, character was in certain Tyler Perry movies or who were characters that they hated from certain movies. So I just thought, from movies in general, doesn't matter what genre or who made the movies or whatever, but who is an actor you just don't trust in real life because they played their character way too damn well. I mean, first off, I hated Tariq for a long period of time until that nigga became a, <laughs> a, a main character of his show. So for the whole six seasons of Power, I hated that fucking nigga Tariq. I hated it. So that's one. And that, I, I remember when, bro, I remember when Power was still going on. I remember it was this video that came out that had uh, Tariq was in the elevator with some nigga, bro. And some nigga was cussing him out because they was really acting like he was Tariq. And like, you're such a bitch, nigga. You, smith. you got your sister killed. Niggas was on that nigga Tariq head, but it was the actor. And niggas was on his head for real. So that was one nigga that I hated for a long period of time before he came up and starved his own show. That one nigga from Tyler Perry, uh, the Diary of a Mad Black Woman, the one who got uh drowned oh, in the- Oh, Charles. You're talking Charles, about Charles. Charles, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hated that nigga for a long period of time. And it's another nigga, bro. I think he was from another movie. No, he was from In Living Color. He was the one raping the girls from In Living Color. Oh, oh, Clifton Powell. You talking Clifton about Clifton Powell? Powell. Yes. He, Everybody hates Clifton Powell. Yes. <laughs> what else is he in? What else he in? What else is he in? He's in something. He was else. in um. He was in Dead Presidents. He was in. He was the he pimp was that Dead took what's Presidents. his um that yes. took Lorenz Tate, Baby Mama. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 And I feel like he was. He's always been the villain in everything he's been in too, and that's why I was like, I know. Except fuck Friday. With this he was pinky. He's pinky. Friday. He was pinky. Yeah. But in everything else, he's been the villain, bro. So in Living Color, and like you said, in uh, Dead Presidents, yeah, I hated that nigga, bro. And I do not like Tasha Smith, bro. I hate mm. Tasha Smith. I know a lot of, that's a lot of people's favorites. She's a loud mouth. <laughs> I, I hate Tasha. She's so annoying to me. Oh my God. If I was to see her in real life, if I was to meet her character in real life, I would hate that bitch. So Tasha Smith. 
damn, who don't I like? I like her again now, but when I was younger, bro, I saw Precious for the first time. I ain't even want to see a picture of Monique, bro. I legit hated Monique for years, bro, just because of how well she played the mama in Precious, bro. I had to grow up and realize that the actor is not the same as the character. But mm-hmm. I absolutely hated Monique for some years because she did too damn good in Precious. I mm-hmm. thought she threw that TV for real at that girl the way she played that role. <laughs> but, uh, damn, who's another person I just... Ooh, I just hate it. Or just didn't like. Um, Damn. Other than Clifton Powell. Um, damn. Who else did I not like? Oh, um, what's his name from Temptation? That Tyler Perry movie, Temptation? Oh, the bald head, like brown skin, bald headed nigga. Yeah. Yeah, he, I know he, what you're talking about. He was, he was in that movie Hurricane season two. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. With, with Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, I, I ain't like that nigga for a minute. I ain't hate him. He wasn't no Monique level, but I ain't like that nigga for a minute oh. either. I was like, you just, you purposely giving out AIDS to people? Like, that just threw me through a damn loop. Um, Yeah, it ain't too many people I, I don't like or hate, but it was just funny seeing people, you know, um, say Charles. Who are, who are some names? Yeah, who are some names? Go through some names with the head. I got I to go through some names. Let me let me go to the um to the post that people. Yeah. Oh, Michael Ely from For Color Girls. That uh. shit was funny as hell. Damn, let me go back to this tweet. Now that's crazy. It though. was a, it was a few people though, bro. They were mostly Tyler Perry actors. No, I was about to say because I was about to say I can run through a couple because <laughs> that nigga who was with uh Jill Scott, that nigga who was with Jill Scott, that nigga that annoying oh, nigga um, who was always talking damn. shit about him. Yeah, ball head. Oh nigga. yeah, yeah, yeah. From um, uh, what you call it? From why did I get married? Yeah, 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 yeah. Damn, what, what was his name? He was in the wood too. He was in the wood. Damn, I yep. forgot his. I he forgot his name, wood. but I, I know who you're talking about, though. I, mm-hmm. I definitely know who you're talking about. Oh, hey, Damn, where is this list? I can't find this list. Damn. Damn. The list was funny as hell, though, bro. I, I saw straight Tyler Perry. Like I said, it's, it's definitely like, a lot damn. of Tyler Perry niggas you can definitely hate. He makes it real clear who the antagonist and protagonist is. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Bro, I heard somebody say, like, do you have the wife? <laughs> somebody has said, do you have the Tyler Perry antagonist starter kit? And that shit threw me <laughs> That no, shit said, crazy. That shit said a wife beater, a terrible wig, jeans. <laughs> And a rapey vibe or some shit like that. Nah, that shit that's crazy. Wild. Another reason I didn't like Tasha Smith, it wasn't also, it wasn't only the why did I get married? It was the uh daddy's little girl. She was the mom. Oh yeah, of, she was the, ooh, I, I did not her like her ass. in that either. Bro, I yeah. hate her ass, bro. Did not Tasha like her Smith. in that. Hated her and daddy's little girls. I can't find this damn post with these actors. Well, we'll, we'll circle back to it. We'll circle back to it. That shit was funny though. All right, man, moving on to entertainment and current events. We got Justin Bieber sells his catalog for 200 M's. Yeah, so uh, if y'all have been listening to us for at least the past six months, Future, Justin Timberlake, uh, there was another person that, you know, sold the rights to their music. And we were just having a question of why are so many artists doing this? But another person, another big name artist, Justin Bieber, uh, Billboard says... The Hypnosis Songs Capital has closed this deal to buy 100% of Justin Bieber's publishing as well as his artist royalties 
from his master recordings and neighboring rights. And the deal was priced at just north of $200 million, according to um, a source close to the um, to the label, making this the largest rights sale for any artist of Bieber's generation. It's Damn. also Hypnosis' biggest acquisition to date, covering all 290 titles in Bieber's catalog released prior to December 31st of 2021, including his most recent album, which was Justice. So literally everything from one time to the end of 2021, he sold all of it for 200 M's. And it's people saying the same thing I said about Justin Timberlake. They're saying about Justin Bieber. People are saying Justin Bieber's first album alone is worth 200 M's. How could he sell for this low and blah, blah, blah. Y'all, we don't know what this music shit is really worth. But bro. this is showing you how much it's worth because we keep seeing more and more people sell. So it's showing us that obviously his catalog is worth this. Once again, Justin Bieber has people in his corner that know what the fuck they're doing, bro. We've seen Timberlake, Future, Bieber all sell for around the same thing. I think, no, I think no, Future, like sell, Future sold for less than 100 M's. Exactly. He so was more than so 80. I think he was like 80. And, so and exactly. Look at Future as a legend. Like, exactly. On, so if Future getting 80 and Bieber getting 200, that shows you something. But how obviously how widespread his fan base is talking about Bieber and Timberlake. But it shows you how much uh, the music is worth, bro. So these guys are selling for a reason. They don't have to sell, but they're selling because this is a good deal on the table, bro. And they want their money up front before they die. That's another thing that I have to always circle back to. All of these people do not want to just leave money for their families and just let the royalty checks continue to go in after they're dead. They want to see their money now, the fruits of their labor now, and get the money. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's another reason why we're seeing more people selling. Yeah, I, I think it's just the fact of, to your point of, they don't want to take so long to have their family and even themselves reap the benefits of their hard work before they die. It's just the fact that why, if you're marketed at for future, let's say 80 M's now, there's no guarantee that's going to double 10, 15 years down the line. What if you only go from 80 it to goes 90? Down. Like, yeah, it goes down. You waste, you waste 10 years just to get an extra 10 M's that you probably got right now any damn way. You might as well just take all the 80 up front. You know, so I, I don't blame artists at this point. I know when Justin Timberlake had his situation, I was just so confused of like, bro, you could sell you could sell mirror and suit and tie for like this much money, but apparently not. Apparently this is what these labels are telling y'all. Look, you're only going to get this much amount of money. You're either going to get it 20 years from now or you can get it all up front. Which one do you want to do? And these artists say, hey, just give it to me now. And I can make it. It'll be on me to see if I can double or triple or quadruple this money. So I, I don't blame the artists at this point. They getting what they worth right now. And then they'll exactly. make the best of it. Exactly. So this all makes sense to me, bro. I know everybody was shocked because Justin Timberlake was the first one. So everybody, this is the first time we've seen somebody actually sell their catalog. So when he got 250 or 200, however much he got, it was like, damn, what are you doing? But we see when more and more people do it, because even look, I think Lil Wayne, he didn't sell his whole catalog, but he sold mm -hmm. a portion and it was still like, damn, people were still questioning how, why he sold his. So I think we're starting to see why more people are selling it earlier than expected and not letting the royalties come in. I think it's smart, bro, because I honestly don't think the, the, the labels are paying them what they're worth. I think the, the labels are honestly paying them a little over what they're worth. And that's why we're seeing so many deals come out earlier than expected. You know what I'm saying? So. It makes sense to me. Definitely makes sense.
But moving on to the Ed Reed firing leads to a BCU Bethune Cookman protest. So just a couple months, not even, yeah, just about a couple months ago, I say maybe around the end of December, we got news that Ed Reed would be heading to um, Bethune Cookman University here in Florida to be the new head coach of their football team. But recently, within this past week, we've gotten news that BCU and Coach Reed will not be coming to an agreement for the contract because of some issues that he was trying to voice his opinion about for BCU. And now not only has Ed Reed said something, but now they've made the news in Orlando. Now the news is circulating. Now students are protesting and everyone's giving their opinion on how terrible BCU has been doing. And apparently BCU was either misleading Ed Reed or when they gave him an offer and he finally came, he seen what they were offering just wasn't up to par with either what he deserved or what the students deserved. And you just seen Ed Reed in the video that he had with talking to the team and giving them the bad news. You just see how much it hurt him because he really did want to coach there. Ed Reed ain't hurting for no job. He been in Miami for the last couple years. If Ed Reed wanted to coach at any JUCO, HBCU, or any low-tier white D1 school, he could have did it. But he chose to go to Bethune partly because of what he's seen um, – what you call it, Dion and other successful head black coaches do. He tried to do that with Bethune, and we see Bethune fumbled the bag in this situation. Got dorms all messed up. You got know, mold in the dorms. Mold in the dorms, overcharging students. And, you know, Denisha was even telling me, you know, it's always been a joke that BCU is just a terrible school, but there's always been underlying truth that has now surfaced to where everybody sees it. It's not just the HBCU thing of everybody knows BCU is terrible. It's becoming worldwide at this point that, hey, don't send your people here because they were about to lose their accreditation already and this damn show well, is going to happen had to now. Save them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it, it's a situation where, you know, Ed Reed, honestly, and I said this on social media, like, yes, I think Ed Reed needed to be a little realistic in the sense of you're going to have to come out your pocket a little bit you may not have to do everything Dion did. Like, Dion was just giving money and just like, hey, we finna do this shit now. Whatever I gotta give, I'll do it now. Ed Reed don't have to do that, and he might not want to do that. But I think he did need to be a little realistic of, hey, you gonna have to come out of pocket for something. Like, they, they're not just finna But what do you mean around. come out of pocket for? Because Dion came out of pocket for the football program. The issues that they were having are past football. It's like, but, but there were there just, were football things too. Like he wanted well, improvement fo- with the facilities and whatnot. Yeah, exactly, because I, I think the first reaction that everybody got everybody up in arms, the HBC community specifically, was when that first video he dropped. He was riding around the campus. He was telling them like, "Hey, we picked up all this trash." The tr-. It was like this shit. And don't he make doing no sense. janitor jobs and shit. He, like exactly, on, he bro. doing janitor jobs. He was like the the team was around picking up trash because Bethune would just look like shit around the community. But I think the it went past just the football program and everything on the field, them not having a practice field and all that, when more people started to come out over the past couple of days about the mold, how you can't even sleep. I mean, I see mold on pillows, bro, mold on floors, like mold on window seals. Like that shit is disgusting environment to live in. Not only just for the football players that Ed Reed has to accommodate to, just students in general. So everybody was up in arms and saying like, yeah, and Reed shouldn't have spoke out against the school. Like he's about to be a future or a former or future employer of BCU. Like he can't, a future employee of uh, BCU. He can't really talk out against them. When your situation or when your school is like that in that type of situation, bro, somebody has to say something because you're, something. Foot, 
because your football players that you are coaching up have to live through that and have to go through that situation on a night-to-night basis, bro. They can't lay their head on somewhere that they just can feel comfortable in. It's a situation even when they leave the football field, bro. So you have to speak out against it. That's the reason why he got fired because he spoke out against the university, but more people are starting to realize why he did and why he said what he said. And it's all starting to make sense now. And and this isn't a situation where I don't even think Dion's situation was, but that was a whole argument amongst the black community. But I don't think Ed Reed was trying to use the school. I don't think Ed Reed no. was trying to use BCU or anything. And you can see it with the players. The players started a petition to get him back. One of mm. the players wrote a statement and tweeted it on social media. Like the players clearly want him there and they feel like, you know, he actually cared. And you can see in the video, like I said, when he addressed them, that he was pissed off. He hate the fact that he probably wasn't going to get the money that he was promised or contractually agreed to. He hate the fact that the executive staff just didn't give a damn to really improve not only the football environment, but the school environment as a whole. And we're not doing that. We're not talking about this right now to just shit on BCU, even though that probably should be the attitude. But because we are black people and we want HBCUs to be held in high regard, we just have an expectation, even if you're the worst HBCU, y'all got to do better, bro. Like, it just, it's a call to do better. And sometimes we get in our own way. Yes, HBCUs are publicly, not publicly, are majorly underfunded. Even some of the best HBCUs are underfunded when they're compared, you know, to their white um, contemporaries and whatnot. But we have to get out of our own way as much as possible. We can't let the outside be the issue, and then we still have some of our own issues as well. So that's my thing. I'm not mad at Ed Reed for calling him out. Did he have to do it in a way that he did it on social media? Okay, we could debate that, but somebody had to say it. Like Somebody had to know, because this is somebody a Somebody other though. than the students had exactly, to Exactly, because the students and the faculty already know the issue because they're talking to students. They're seeing these dorm rooms. The students and faculty already know He's trying to let everybody else know. I first agreed with everybody else of like, Ed Reed shouldn't have did it how he did it. But after seeing the protests, after seeing the pictures and seeing the conditions in which these dorm rooms and how these facilities are looking, it's like, no, nah, he did or he did the right thing by speaking out against it. I thought he was just talking about the trash around the campus. But when we just see the totality of what's wrong with BCU, it's yeah. like, oh, no, nah, this is a real issue. That's why we see so much uh, a protest right now trying to get him back to the school because he's the only one speaking out because it was it was a similar situation not entirely but um that came to my mind just now with howard i want to say earlier in mm-hmm. 2022 it was a situation where damn like y'all got mold in y'all dorms like y'all got messed up dorms y'all one of the most illustrious hbcus y'all have some of the biggest alumni names so i i get it they're still underfunded situations happening but there, I, I just I understand the point of these schools are underfunded, but what is the solution? How can we help? Do we just need to start asking big name black celebrities? Hey, can y'all please contribute to HBCUs? I don't give a damn if you're in music. I don't give a damn if you're an athlete. I don't care what you are. You could be a doctor, lawyer, whatever. Apparently, we're not helping each other enough to the point to where we're not just chronically underfunded to this point. And this is also another point. I think a lot of big name celebrities don't trust HBCUs in the same light because they don't know where that money is going to go. 
If they, that if true. I do donate this money, is it truly going to go to fixing these dorm rooms, fixing the facilities, this, that, the third, fixing the football team and their facility, this, that, or y'all just going to pocket this shit or try to put it in other areas where, it, where I'm not trying to put the money in for you know what I'm saying? It's just like when you put money in for an offering, you don't know where your money is going. It can go to any part of this, uh, to the church, but I don't, I don't know where it's going. And I think that's why more celebrities are starting to be fearful of that reality because it's like, damn, I can put money in, but y'all could be trying to make another building somewhere else that don't really matter to what's the real current issue of BCU of fixing dorms, all this, this, that, the third. So I think that's the reason too. BCU, y'all had Vince Carter mother getting cussed out, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, a few years ago for the money getting stolen from the students. Exactly. Like, there were so many people that we know, like, from St. Pete, bro, that were going to BCU and just had to stop going to school because they were getting overcharged and they were in situations where it's like, damn, bro, like, how, how do we continue to pay money and we're getting finessed out of our money and we still got to go to class, but y'all going to take us out of class if... We don't pay the money that you're overcharging us for. It, it's a, I don't know, it's a messed up situation. Like I said, we just have to do better with not getting in our own way a lot. I understand we got the mission to accomplish of not being underfunded. And that's a problem bigger than just us that we have to tackle. But let's get out of our own way as much as possible. And I think that's what Ed Reed was saying with his videos, with his statements, because like you said, somebody other than the students and the faculty had to say something. It took somebody that ain't got nothing to do with the school with a big enough name to say something to make everybody say, yeah, okay, y'all got to tighten the fuck up. Like, this ain't just a inside community conversation no more. It's like everybody needs to see where this needs to get better. So mm -hmm. that that's my hope. I hope BCU stays around. I hope they don't lose a credit. I don't think There's only do. three... Yeah. There's only three HBCUs in Florida. You take BCU away, there's only two. Florida Memorial. Florida Memorial, damn near on the brink of lose it, um, lose it too, BCU yeah. too. Yeah. Like, so come on, bro. Like we we don't want to see these schools go away, but we can't want it. We can't want it more than the people who actually at school running the school wanting it to mm -hmm. not go away. So yeah, for sure. And that's the same thing. It's so crazy that Bethune is more expensive to go to than like FAMU. And it's like FAMU is way cleaner exactly. environment, way better school than most people. It's like I'm paying more money to go to Bethune. Like that shit is nuts to me. But uh, moving on to the next topic, we got for the love of the golden shower, the young Miami and the P Diddy stuff. Boy, this was wild. Some some sexual stuff just needs to stay to yourself. Kevin Gates, you included in this conversation too, because Kevin Gates been getting some wild interview and um giving some wild interview answers as of late. He he kind of has been for the last two. I was years. about to say he been recently, a wild nigga since like 2013. Yeah, recently it's gotten crazy because he said something about this too. But Young Miami on her show, Carisha Please on Revolt, she was interviewing Trina, and I think Trina she asked Trina like what was one of her sexual desires or what's one of her kinks or whatever. She answered it, but then she put the question back on Miami, and she basically hinted at the fact that she likes golden showers. Those y'all who don't know what that is, is getting pissed on, basically. And she gets some type of sexual arousal from it. To quote her directly, she said, it just do something to me. And that's I just... Do. I don't know, bro. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand. There are fetishes for everything. And I told Denisha before, like, I've heard some of the craziest stories, like, just going to the strip club, you hear some of the strangest stories from strippers of what people will actually pay for you to do. 
Like, and that's absolutely crazy. A lot of people were saying this related to Diddy because Diddy is who she's talking to, who she's fucking with right now. But she never straight up said that's who she was conferring, referring to. But, you know, everybody was going crazy. Um, Sean Pissy Combs, P. Diddy. Like, it, it was, I don't know, bro. There was so many nicknames going around. So we wondering, is this a thing with Diddy to where, hey, you just pissing on people at this point? Well, R. Kelly have been okay in this generation. That's the question at this point, bro. That's what, honestly what came to mind. And also the Chappelle came to mind as well with the golden shower shit. <laughs> Always want a ball. <laughs> <laughs> Such a wild ass skip, but that's what I thought about when I thought seeing that damn Carisha shit. That shit is that boy Dave bro. different, bro. Dave different. <laughs> he had he a girl face. That, that wasn't even the whole skit because y'all remember on one scene he had like a girl uh face. He had her wearing like a toilet rig, like he had to lift it up and down and shit. That shit was hilarious, bro. But I honestly don't know what to say about this shit. I'm not gonna kink shame though, because like I, you into what you into, but yeah. I never got it because some people. I think Odell was somebody who liked to get shit on. Some people like to get shit on their yeah, chest during sex. When, he, shit like when he was out in, um, like, France or something. Yeah. Shit. yeah. Somebody yeah. found out he liked to get shit on or something. Yeah. Like, so it's like... I heard, I heard they do that. I heard they do that overseas in certain countries, though. Like, in different mm-hmm. countries and continents. Like, that's a sexual custom. Yeah. That's weird. That's what I'm saying. I can't kink shame, bro. Some people into it. The thing about R. Kelly, he was like he forcing them little girls to get pissed on. Yeah, she and she enjoys the piss. So it's it's a dichotomy there. But I, I don't hey, know. like that boy Riley said, I see piss coming. I move. She stayed. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying, bro. That's what I'm saying. It's nothing really to say here, bro. It's like she enjoys the go to the shower. Yeah, I, and right. she grown as hell. So she hey. grown as hell. She into it. Hey. Can't even keep it, it's just it, it's it's up there to where Kevin Gates said he was talking to his cousin, and when he found out, he didn't care. He kept talking to her. I was like, bro, this is certain things you have to keep to yourself, bro. And that's the thing. Why would you really let that out? Is more so the question. Like, yeah, you yeah. shouldn't be ashamed of it, but it's like, dad, not everybody know type shit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you could have better off kept it to yourself. Because if he would have just ended it saying, "I found out I was talking to my cousin, and I had to stop talking to her," that'd have been different. But he mm-hmm. was like. We already started having sex. So it was like, man, bump it. We're going to keep talking. I'm like, bro, you're not supposed to say bro, that. You were just supposed to end it at that moment. You can't believe anything that nigga Kevin Gates be talking about. I've been listening to Kevin Gates since 2013. He's one of the biggest cappers I've ever heard in my life. So that nigga say he's fucking on his cousin. That nigga mostly is lying. The sexual freaky shit he be on, he probably, that shit is probably true. But that nigga's one of the biggest cappers I've ever seen in my life. So I would not. That boy said he started a battery with his hand. That's what I'm I saying. Like, like it's that type shit. <laughs> he said, I, I got you. He said, that nigga said, I got you. One of the biggest cappers of all time, my nigga. Oh, I can't man. believe nothing that nigga talking about, bro. <laughs> I cannot believe nothing that nigga talking about. All right. And uh, moving on, this is just one more topic. Just want to talk about uh, Angela Bassett. Give her a shout out for her Oscar nomination for Wakanda Forever. She was the first Marvel actor or actress to be nominated for an Oscar, which is such a big deal because usually when people go into superhero movies, you don't get that recognition on the Oscar or Academy type of levels. So this is huge. 
And I right. wanted to ask you, will we see more down the line of these Academy Awards from the Marvel actors with such a great um, performance like we've seen with uh, Angela Bassett? It's hard to say yes, just because the way Wakanda Forever was made, it didn't feel like a Marvel movie, bro. Like it, and, and I think that's why it played such a huge role in her getting the award. Hey, she from the crib, so I ain't I ain't gonna um, dispute it. Shout out to Angela Bassett. She from here. She from the bird. She grew up literally next door to my mama and them. So it's like mm-hmm. you from you from the city. We ain't finna be mad at you getting no Oscar. Plus you a black woman. Plus you in Marvel. You making history all around with this. But I think it was just the way Wakanda Forever was made. It was made like a real drama film that just so happened to have superheroes and supervillains in it. So I think that's why she really got it. But I think that also plays to the point of. I don't know if any future Marvel characters will get it because of the fact that's not usually how Marvel movies go. So I don't, I don't know. Um, it would just take a real breathtaking acting experience. Like maybe Jonathan Majors with his Kang role. That's what I was thinking. Not an Angela Bassett to knock the door down. Maybe they'll pay attention to Jonathan Majors as Kang. Um, it's just the fact that Tony, not Tony Stark, but, um, but he does so many it. different roles, though. Like, he's not going to be just one personality throughout a whole movie. It's different Kangs, different variants, you know what I'm saying? So he doesn't play just one person the whole time. So it's like you get different personalities just with one actor. I think he can get recognition for that because it's all going to be labeled under Kang, Jonathan Major. It's going to be him. So I think mm-hmm. with how many roles he could be playing in the one movie, I think he can get that recognition. He's the only one, though. Everybody else, I agree that superheroes really aren't in that category. Because, um, what you call it, Robert Downey Jr., he could have got a couple of Oscars, if we being real, from Marvel movies that he's done. Endgame. Could he really Endgame. Endgame. Endgame, okay. he could have got one, for sure. But that's more so off the emotion of him dying. It was like, you've been with us for so long type shit. But Angela Bassett got it off the emotion of Wakanda Forever with her being a sad mother and dying in the film. Like, no, I think it was more so because of that monologue. That. Remember that monologue she was talking about, uh... Oh, my, my uh, son is dead. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah. left by myself, that type shit. I think she got it for that monologue. It was because that like you scene said, alone. It, it was, was that, that scene alone. alone. I agree. That nothing else in the film really stuck out about Angela Bassett, but it was that scene alone where you felt her every word where it was like, damn, that makes sense. And especially off the Chadwick death, it just messed so well. Like, damn, got to give her that Oscar. And like you said, it didn't feel like a Marvel movie. And we talked about it during the review. We didn't see Black Panther until like 30 minutes into the movie. So it really exactly. felt grounded as shit. You know what I'm saying? So it makes sense. So definitely shout out to Angela Bassett. And uh, that is it for entertainment and current events. Moving on to past the Ops. What you got for Song of the Week? Uh, I got Hates Real by Lucci and Boosie off of Wish Me Well 3 that came out in 2020. Uh, I ain't going to say free Lucci because y'all know I ain't into saying free people who need to be in jail. But <laughs> Lucci went crazy, bro. Wish Me Well 3 wasn't as hard as Wish Me Well 2, but it definitely had bangers on it. And Hate's Real featuring Boosie was definitely one of them, for sure. Do you remember Wish Me Well 2, bro? That era oh, yeah. of high school was crazy, bro. You can hit play on that and let it play and the whole Let way. it ride. I, I remember funking that back in damn 2014. That's crazy, bro. Shout out to Lucci, man. Shout out to Lucci. I don't know. He in jail? What he in jail for? That man been locked up for about two years now. What? I think it's... I, um, I stopped keeping up with him. Was it some murder shit? I don't even remember what his charges was. They they that serious. He federal. Like, it's that mm, serious. <laughs> got you. 
Uh, I probably will have a scissor one for this week. Man, what, mm. what scissor joke would I have? I would have shirt. Shirt by scissor been sliding to me recently. I was to say that's been on the radio heavy. Shirt. Oh, and Kill know. Bill. Shirt and, and Kill, Kill Bill. Bill there. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of Drake, so I was like, do I want to pick a Drake one? I'll pick a Drake one. I've been Who listening to a lot of Drake too, bro. I've been on Drake heavy the last Why year. Why is this? This nigga has the most replay value of all time, bro. He I've does. never. It's like he cannot drop for like two years and I'm still spinning shit from 2016. Like that nigga replay value something different, bro. I'm going to actually say I Get Lonely too. I love I Get Lonely by Drake. So I'm going to ride Speak, that one for my song of the week. Speaking of Drake, let me go to this tweet. Let me see if I still got this tweet. So I Get Lonely too. And Days in the East. Days in the East. So go. Oh, yeah. Sweeter, Days in the East. Go Days crazy. in the East. Sweeter Man. It's those hits that... Those are high-key throwaways for Drake. Sweeter Man, Days in the East. They're not on albums. Them bitches are just singles. I got to find this That's tweet. Crazy, Nigga, Drake is goaded. I gotta find this tweet from that um that concert he just did at the Apollo. Oh, the girl fell off the balcony. Damn, what the hell is it? Damn, I can't find it. But they had the lineup of the songs that he did at the Apollo, bro. Oh, that lineup of songs was crazy, bro. Like when I tell you, he took it back in time with that shit. He well, took I got it, it right back here. in time. Oh, you got the lineup? Ooh, go ahead and list the names. So we got Look at this over, lineup. Yeah. So we got Over My Dead Body, Wu Tang Forever, Trust Issues, Marvin's Room. There's 40 songs on here. What the fuck? We got Marvin's Room, Say Something, Feel No Way, Practice, Jaded, Jungle, Karaoke, Best I Ever Had, Over, Headlines, Hell Yeah, Fucking Right, Started from the Bottom, I'm On One, No New Friends, Energy, Know Yourself, Nonstop. And that's just half of it. We got God's Plan. Laugh now, cry later. So many hits on the other side, bro. Spit about you. Nigga Drake is golden, bro. Bro, just imagine being there in person and you hear all of Jaded and then the sound stops for half a second and you go straight in the jungle. That had to be crazy. Combo crazy. That Jaded the jungle combo is crazy, bro. Oh my God. And he's going on tour. Drake is going mm. on tour this year with 21 Savage, and I believe Beyonce is also going on tour this year. So two, possibly the biggest tours of this decade will be happening in the same year, which is mm. wild. I don't know how long mm. Drake tour is going to be. I don't know how long Beyonce's will be, but the Y'all fact that get they're on that both tickets. going on tour, yeah. I, I got to get tickets to one of them, bro. That's what I'm, I have I'm going to. to. I'm going to Drake. You I, know, them is going to be sold out for 10 minutes, though. I haven't seen Drake since 2014 when, when he had the Drake versus Lil Wayne tour. One of the most mm-hmm. legendary tours of all time. I'm glad I went to go see that. I haven't seen Drake in basically nine years at this point. I've never seen Beyonce in person. I might have to get a Beyonce ticket. Not even going to lie to you. Mm-hmm. That shit could be $500. I might have to get a Beyonce no, ticket. It, it will be 500 It definitely will be 500 Drake would be something similar, I feel like. About 300 for a ticket. It depends on where you're sitting, though. But uh, moving on to movie and show reviews. What we got coming up? Uh, we still got to do Glass Onion and Last Chance You, y'all. Um, a couple other things. We got to do Banshees of Insurance, Kaleidoscope, Snowfall, just a couple more weeks out. Uh, we not reviewing BMF, but I ain't even start watching BMF yet, bro. I heard it's been, I heard it sound, I heard it look ridiculous. I was about to say, I heard it look ridiculous. <laughs> but I, a lot of people are starting to come out and say what I said with season one, bro. Meech 
can't act, bro. He just can't. He can't. He only got the role because he's his daddy. Yeah. And and I ain't mad at that. White people no, do it all sure. the time. Black so I'm nepotism. Not mad yeah, black nepotism for sure. I'm I'm definitely all for that. But it's just like he when he says his lines, it's just he tries to sound so articulate with giving lines that it's like, bro, just be yourself. Like what however you act when you are not reading a script, please act like that. And it's it's just I don't know. It just feels like I know I'm watching a show when I watch BMF. When I watch Power, Ghost 2, and, and all that, or when I watch um, Raising Canaan, I'd be like, damn. They acting their ass off right now. I don't get that when I watch BMF. I just don't. Mm. And then you got Snoop Dogg as the pastor. I see Monique is in this season. Like, well, Monique can act, but it's like, what are we doing right now? Like, it's just so much stuff going on. I'm gonna it's the same thing with Mary J, though, because Mary J, Mary J can't act. But she be in that shit. It's like, so we just ride with her because she married mm, she Mary J. Mary J can't act. No, she better than him for sure. But she can't really act for real. But it's like, you know, you auntie, so we're going to rock with you. We're going to fight through this. But she can't really act. And, and you know who's a slept on um, musician turned actor, bro, that we laugh at him a lot. But he really, not just musically, but acting wise, he's, he's phenomenal. Tyler? Bow Wow. Bow Wow can act, bro. He's Bow Wow can definitely about rollouts and all that shit. He, he can act. He got he movies act. under his belt that I'll when it's go. all said and done, the music career will definitely be a bigger impact. I'll but we're going to look back at Bow Wow and be like, damn, he was really in some shit. Like, he... How many it, movies, it he, was only, he was really only in three movies, bro, when I'm thinking Yeah, Roll Bounce. Roll Bounce. Johnson's Johnson, Family Vacation. Yep, and he had a lottery ticket. Lottery ticket. He was in um He was oh, in Light, all Light. about the Benjamins. What the hell? How oh, I forget shit. it like that? Oh shit. Oh, oh, oh hell no. Shit. He up oh, there. Oh, okay, yeah. there, bro. Oh shit. No, no, no. Mike, like Mike alone. Like Mike, like Mike. Yeah, there, okay. Yeah, I'm tweaking, I'm tweaking, I'm tweaking. Y'all can see him say he was a kid. He wasn't really acting like I don't give a no, damn. No, no, that no, shit no. was too fire. No, that shit was that fire. Shit was too fire. So four. He had four. He had four movies. I don't remember him being in anything else after that, truthfully. He was in um He was in Medea Joint. Oh, Big Happy Family. He was in my Medea Joint. Hurricane season. He was a hurricane season? Yeah. He was on uh he was Gary in Hurricane Season. He was the point guard that they went and get. I don't remember that. <laughs> I remember Forrest yeah, Whitaker. About it. He was uh he was in something else too. Well yeah, on um, Tokyo Drill. My dog was Tokyo. Yeah, Bow Wow oh, up there, bro. Bow Wow okay, up okay, there. Okay, okay. He was the he can, definitely, he can act he can act better than them niggas for sure. He was the plug in Tokyo Drill. I ain't mm-hmm. mad at it. Yeah. But yeah, man, we appreciate you guys for listening this week. And we out. Peace.